Greetings and welcome to the Spooky Stacks. I am Jenna, the Vampire Queen. I'm Jay, the Crypt Keeper. More of a vampire. Yeah. Vampire? vampire Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish. No, I'm I'm a vampire hench person at best. You must simplify. (laughs) Vampire. Uh, this week we are going to be talking about John Carpenter's Halloween, and this episode is a, uh, you know, as, as long as uh, everything goes according to plan, going to be going up on Halloween. Uh, but first we have a, an important Halloweeny question. Yes, yes, we uh, we used to start some of our older episodes with questions, and we might start doing that again. Uh, but this time I came up with one. I did work. What? So this question that you are completely unprepared for and I is coming <laughs> right off the cuff is what is your favorite movie or cinema monster and why? Uh, OK, so I, I totally have my answer. Did you want to go first or shall I? Um, I'll let you go first because I still got to figure okay. out how how I'm going to word mine. All right. Uh, so. Obviously, my initial thought when when this was brought up just after uh, uh, last week's episode, and we were kind of uh, brewing over uh, the idea, was Baragon. Uh, you know, as we've discussed mm-hmm. before, certainly favorite kaiju. Uh, just <laughs> so lovable. The rainbow attack, the ice mist, just that he's a big clumsy lizard dog. I he just him. wants to go to sleep. He's so good. Uh, and it looks so grumpy in the rain. It's great. Oh, he doesn't like the rain. <laughs> uh, but like in, in terms of just like overall monsters, I sort of don't even think of kaiju's in the same sort of sense. And I, I guess this is also a sort of question that, as someone who is really deeply into horror, is the sort of thing that would change uh, depending on whatever parameters and depending on. Uh, when I'm asked it, I guess, honestly, one that's necessarily going to shift, like the same question next Halloween, I might have a completely different answer. Well, uh, I had to change mine, actually, just in the last week or in the last <laughs> few days. And like uh, another one, I, I would certainly think like if we were talking about best uh, franchise uh, monster, obviously, Jason is my guy. I, I really love the Friday the 13th series. But in terms of just overall monsters and just even just single one-off things, uh, my choice is Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker. Oh, I can't remember if I've seen that or not. Uh, really great movie. <laughs> it's uh, Jeffrey Combs, you know, Reanimator. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's his fiance is killed in a freak lawnmower accident. Uh, and he patches her together with, uh, like, he patches her back together with the bodies of prostitutes that he kills with this super crack that makes them all explode. Oh, yeah. Is this the one where he's, like, got, like, a head full or a freezer full of heads? Yes, something? exactly. Yeah, he, okay, he just yeah, has I've seen this. all of the body parts in his freezer. And uh, so he pieces her together and uh, she just has all of the instincts of them as well as uh, the original girl uh and just such a fun movie so <laughs> bizarre uh and 
just the the ending button where Jeffrey Combs is a uh, groom of Frankenhooker is really great. Just wonderful. So my answer to so you're going with Frankenhooker. 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 Final answer. All right. All right. My answer similarly went through a few changes over time. Um, and this. I'll think of somebody as soon as we're done recording. I'll think of someone else and be like, oh, that's who it should be. First, I was going to go with a, one that doesn't really need to be explained. Um, I was basing it on what creates the most fear. Okay. Uh, in my, or like the most, the not fear, but helplessness. Okay. Um, so I was going first with uh, the it that follows. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in you, terms of scary modern ones, uh, totally up there. I, I completely agree. Really great mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and oh, yes. just best in terms of atmosphere and mood. Oh, yeah. Um, if, if you haven't seen it, check out It Follows. Uh, came out, I can't remember, like within the last five years or so. Yeah, somewhere around there. So I was like, well, that's an easy one, though. It, I don't even need to explain why that one's scary if you've seen the movie. Uh, but so my second one was going to be, and this one I'll, I actually had like a long explanation for, uh, ghost face from the scream movies Hmm. because like, okay, you've got your Jason Voorhees, you got your Michael Myers, you've got your masked serial killers, right? Right. Um, ghost face is one of them, but he's not ghost face can be, he's a satire of them. Well, he is, he is, but like he can be anyone. If Ghostface is in play, it could be your roommate, it could be your neighbor, it could be your mom, it could be a random stranger. Um, if Michael Myers is in play, you know that the next door neighbor that you see isn't actually going to be Michael Myers. For right. Example. Well, and and he is he is anonymous. Both yeah. like. You know, he he is conceptually anonymous and he is like the anonymous mask. A very similar vibe uh, and look. Yeah. So like and then if you kill the ghost face, he. Anyone can just pick up the mask and then suddenly you've got another scream movie happening. Um, Not necessarily the scariest thing because he is completely human, um, never bulletproof or anything. Well, it's very um, postmodern and, and yeah. like sort of very self-consciously postmodern because like uh, it, it's both the idea that, you know, any person can turn out to be a killer and it's not really the mask that's scary. It's just mental health in America that's frightening. Yeah, like like what I had, was originally going to end it with was um, you can kill the individual ghost face, but ghost face is an idea and ideas are bulletproof. But Just then I like, to change it. You know, V for Vendetta. It's anonymous. Exactly. It's the same thing. But Freddy Krueger murders children, and he's has the audacity to be funny while he murders children. And he does so, it in your dreams. Uh, in your dreams. He's the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Yeah, he, he um, <laughs> no, it's it's actually him. He he's 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 the worst. <laughs> Freddy's an excellent choice. And like in terms of just uh the, the the whole package because he's so entertaining the movies probably are the best made it's like in terms of just franchise quality it's very much higher uh consistently than friday the 13th and, and, and halloween and he, 
makes you laugh as he murders children. Yeah, and like I feel really gross about it. Yeah, and it's, it's so good. We'll talk a bit about it when when we get to the midpoint because we watched uh, Dream Warriors this weekend. Uh, but like, yeah, e- even when they're abused, suicidal kids in an institution that he is specifically targeting to terrorize, it's still fun <laughs> and it's yeah. weird. That one has always kind of troubled me in specifically that way. But there's, I don't know, there's something about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So right now, I'm going with Freddy Krueger. <laughs> right on. Even uh, though I've only seen the one movie. And and not the first one, which is interesting. We'll have to see that sometime. I feel like the one I did see gives me enough of an idea. I would say that that one is the iconic Freddy. That That's the most definitive Freddy. Uh, the two prior to that are quite a bit different. Uh, and the first one is quite a bit scarier, ultimately, oh. you know, sometimes silly. More silly through a modern lens than, you know, as originally designed, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... This week, our first film is John Carpenter's absolutely landmark slasher film, Halloween. Bah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's the so sound good. of Halloween, that score. Mm-hmm. The, the score is so tremendous and such a big part of the success of this movie, I feel. It really, it really adds something. I'm... Well, it's just so energetic. And like, even if nothing's really happening in the movie, you'll get a jolt of that score going and like that really low bass. And it just seems like, oh, shit, something, something fucking terrifying is definitely about to happen. And all she's <laughs> and doing just is like looking through a window. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 you know, but Michael is always lurking. Like he's in so many shots in the far background and you just get like, a spice of synthesizer. Oh, it, it's and, always great. And you don't really see him very clearly ever. He's even when he, like until the very end, he's only even when he's killing people, he's only doing it in the background of shots or it's too blurry or or well, in the reflection or. Well, and, and that's I guess he's he's not Michael Myers in the credits. He's the shape. Right. right? He's only Michael Myers in the opening sequence. And after that, Michael Myers no longer exists. Uh, and and to me, that's why I think pretty much all of the sequels are a mistake because <laughs> they, they put way too much into Michael Myers and creating a story for Michael Myers. When what's so effective about this movie is that he's just this unreasonable shape. He's just become this supernatural thing. He is the boogeyman. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, you really get that. Like, when you do get to see him, he doesn't really move like a human does. No, he he moves very robotically. He is just an agent of death. There There's nothing else to him but just the need to kill. And, like, uh, the, the stuff about Laurie and, like, eventually they build a whole background where Laurie is related to him. Oh, like, yeah. But I, only I, in one of the timelines, isn't it? The Halloween timeline is so complicated. It's a little complicated. Uh, it's it's in the couple of them. Like I think Halloween Halloween H2 O and Resurrection might also make him her sister. Right. But 
like in these, it wasn't intended in the original cut, but already by the time of the television cut of Halloween, they were adding stuff about that into this movie. Oh, which is weird. But I don't like any of that. I, I'm I'm against it completely. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it it takes away the simple just power of, of him just being this unnatural force. He's just like there there's no reason that he's after them. I I feel like uh, this is where a lot of the problems come from in uh, reactionary readings of the slasher films that like they're punishing sexuality and stuff. And it's like, no, it, he's just this force. There's no reason he's after them specifically. Yeah, that's kind of what I got because I, I was, I was watching, and it just occurred to me, it's like, why is he stalking her in this? I mean, because I, like, yeah, I found out, quote unquote, found out later that he's related to her. But so, in this movie, that doesn't get mentioned at all, or, or does it? It is if very. It did, simple. I missed it. No, it's very simple. The reason he starts following her uh, right at the start, uh, it's um, like she's going to school, like not right at the very start. Yeah. But, and her dad's like, hey, could you leave the keys at the Myers house? Just oh, put right, them up. Because he's mat. the real estate guy. He's selling. Yeah. She saw him there and that's it. That's all it is. She didn't even see him there. He saw or her. He saw though. her. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, hey, here's here's a, this one. Yeah, she's she's about my sister's age, you know, another teen girl to murder. And that's just what he does. Uh Okay, that that makes sense now, because because also notably uh, the little boy, Tommy Jarvis, is with her when she goes to drop off the keys. And he also is stalking Tommy Jarvis at school. And then the two of them are together that night. So he's after both of them. Like they came to his house. They summoned the monster, basically. You know, it's it's the scary haunted house. And if you go up to it, you know, who knows what you're going to summon. Right, right. But if you stay off, if you stay off their lawn, the monster doesn't have to come out. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love just right from the start, the aesthetic of this film. Like uh, we, you have the black or the just the orange titles on black i love the font you have just the jack-o'-lantern and the slow zoom mm-hmm. and just the score blazing away like crazy uh and, and i really like the sort of autumn look that they managed to create here because i think it was shot in the summer because uh, oh. <laughs> it's it's very green and and not at all looking like what the Midwest would look like at this time of year, like the end of October. I never clued into that. It's just super well done, and there's so much going on. Like it, it's it's so efficient. There there's never any time to pause and reflect on these things. Yeah, well, yeah, there wasn't. <laughs> So it opens Halloween 1963, and we have just this stupendous long POV shot. Oh, yes. Um, I think it's just, we don't know who it is at this point. Right. Uh, so it grabs a go ahead. knife. Uh, what is it? A knife and a mask. He, he grabs a knife and he puts on a mask. But first, uh, we, we see the sister through a window and she goes upstairs with her boyfriend to have sex. And then 
what one thing that I think that's absolutely hilarious in this opening part is uh, we see them go upstairs to have sex and we there lay one minute or less than a minute elapses before we see the guy coming back down the stairs, putting his shirt on, like <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> so funny. It's like, wow, that dude is just efficient. <laughs> um, I guess you can call it that. All right, all right. Uh, charitably going to say efficient. Yeah, that's uh, we'll cool with that. <laughs> uh, and so Michael goes with the knife into his sister's room. Of course, we we don't know who's uh, doing this. We don't know that we're seeing through the POV of what, like an eight eight year old kid. Six, I think. Six. He is at this point. Yeah, six sounds about right. Uh, and he stabs her to death, and we. I, I one of the things that I think is really cool with the way this is done, we see him stab her first and then we just see his face go up and just watch his hand doing the killing rather than watching where the knife is going. Oh, I didn't I didn't catch on to that either. That's that's neat. Yeah, it's kind of chilling. And it makes me think a lot of uh, when we see later when he nails the guy to the wall and he just kind of admires it for a moment yeah yeah that that shot lingered longer than was comfortable very very creepy yeah and then of course he goes outside and we finally zoom out and see uh him with his parents and he's this little boy in a clown halloween costume and with the bloody knife yep and he's just doesn't say anything um, and I think we just cut straight to the next part, don't we, after that? Yeah, we, we cut directly to Pleasance uh, 15 years later, talking about how, yeah, he never talked again after that point. That that There there was never any Michael left. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. What does he say? He says, I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven making sure he never got out again. Yeah, exactly. I love Pleasance as uh, Dr. Loomis. He's so fucking good. I'm the complete polar opposite of uh, Pleasance's other, uh, the psychiatrist Dr. Bain. who knows the killers. Yeah, as Dr. Bane in Alone in the Dark, it's like, I, I do really think that that's very possibly kind of a satirical performance of him as Dr. Loomis. Oh, it's Just gotta the, be. Because the the totally free therapist who's like, oh, we we must let them indulge and grow and uh, learn through doing. And he's Michael like, had smoke pot and go trick or treating on Halloween. It's his favorite day. It'll be back by nine. This one, he's just so hyper tense. Like the evil is gone. The evil is gone from here. <laughs> And yeah, the nurse he's talking to is like, Doctor, don't you think you're being a little... Uh, no, he's evil. Okay. The black eyes. The devil's eyes. <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's a really eerie drive up to the institution. Like, he's going with this nurse at night, and the power has gone out at the institution. You know, similar, like, alone in the dark, again. Uh, I, I do think... by electricity. <laughs> and... Just all we we start to get glimpses of uh, various patients out in the rain. Yeah, that was oh yeah, that was weird. They were just wandering. It's very eerie, uh, and obviously Michael has 
probably engineered some sort of escape here. Uh, and he ends up on top of the car. Yeah, he's on top of the car while Pleasance is trying to get the is outside trying to get the gate open. Um, and yeah, he and just breaks the window with his hand. Yeah, just like smash. Uh, and he gets a hold of the nurse and she freaks out and gets out of there. So he steals their car and somehow he's learned how to drive. Yeah, that's something that doesn't really make any sense. He's been in this institution presumably since he was six. He has, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, and well, it, it, that's something they even directly address. Uh, Donald Pleasance is like, well, how the hell did he learn to drive? Was someone giving him lessons here? <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Like, we don't find out how. But well, he no, definitely it, knows how to drive. He, he just learned somehow. I, I think in... I, I want to say either in added scenes in this one or in number two, or maybe it's even in one of the remakes, they pointedly put in a scene of him being transferred somewhere and watching them drive and somehow learning through that. And it's like, we don't need it. It's fine. It's, it's really OK. It's like Star Wars. Every single person has a name. The kid who's dressed up as a witch, his name is Babafu Zamber. <laughs> he went on after the whole curse of the Michael Myers thing. He went on to be a an actual clown. Sure. But like, I, I guess the, the, the thing is, it's just we totally don't need it. And it's better that we don't have it because it's just he's just evil there. He is possessed of some sort of evil intelligence. Mm hmm. And it does what he needs to be able to do. Uh, I, and I yeah, really we love... see he's really we find out later he actually learns how to do a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have learned how to do in the mental hospital. Yeah, I mean, he's very capable. Uh, he's oh, yeah. he is kind of a survivalist uh, somehow. Kind of. Uh, so it's it's then that we cut or of, of course, first we, we have Donald Pleasance doing his. Uh, he's gone from here. The evil is gone. Uh, which I love so much. It's such a weird phrasing and such a bizarre, like, I don't know. The, the, the way he says it always sticks with me. Just such a big, big high pitched performance. Uh, but, but it is at this point that we cut to Lori and her dad sending her to leave the key. Uh, and then we we also are we we sort of cut back and forth between what she's doing that day and what Tommy's doing that day and what Loomis is doing that day and like he gets uh, in touch with the sheriff. Oh yeah, and Tommy's being bullied for having a pumpkin. Tommy's being bullied. Just I don't know. I I guess Tommy is generally bullied uh, as a Must general be matter of course. These, he, these kids aren't aren't creative bullies they're the most realistic school bullies at that i've seen in movies yeah it's just straight the boogeyman's gonna get you and then they break his pumpkin and shit they're just jerks yeah they're they're not they're not clever they're just assholes and of course meanwhile throughout the day michael is sort of lurking around outside the school like we see him follow tommy we see him lurking outside of laurie's classroom like Laurie is in class and looks out the window and sees a 
the car that he's in, and I think she also sees him outside the vehicle at some point. Yeah, that's that's his thing for the next little while, is just standing there in creepy places staring at people. Or driving past in the background. There's a handful of those, too, where he's just oh, in a car in the background. Yeah, there's a great one uh, with the Pleasance uh, later yeah. on. I don't remember where it happens. but Pretty early. It's, it's a little after this because it's shortly after school when uh, they're driving around stoned. Oh, yeah, right. And, and they're driving around stoned and they find uh, that somebody broke into the hardware store and just took... Halloween night. masks. Yeah. Halloween masks, some knives, and a rope, and that's all they took. Uh, and obviously that is Michael. And notably, oh, you know, that uh, that hardware store, uh, do you know what's significant about that? Uh, no. Uh, it is owned by the father of the girl in Halloween 3, who's killed. Oh. No kidding. Yeah, and so it's... The, her hardware store like they go back to that hardware store and that's sort of where they are connected in universe <laughs> oddly so, enough oh my god so so did, if the villain in halloween 3 succeeded would michael myers be dead i don't know i mean uh, like I've, i i think michael myers sort of works well his is a different type of halloween mix. his is a, a shatner mask obviously yeah yeah. He just got the William Shatner mask off the hook instead. Well, it's the Michael Myers mask now. Shatner doesn't yeah. own that face anymore. <laughs> uh, one thing I really like is with Loomis talking to the sheriff, and they're like, well, why didn't you tell someone? He's like, I told everybody. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, God yeah. damn it, this is not fair. I have been saying nothing but this for eight years get off my ass do something yourself <laughs> basically uh and then but he's yes. like you must think i'm a wicked doctor or something like that <laughs> and the sheriff's just like whatever he's like oh, i guess i get it uh so like loomis first calls the police to warn them when he finds the garage truck uh with michael's abandoned hospital clothes so we see the first place he changed trucks and killed someone although uh it doesn't seem like pleasance finds that body no it doesn't seem like it but, like uh, the camera pans over to show it but uh, i don't think pleasance ever finds it yeah it's um i'm not yeah i don't think he does uh and it's then that we're introduced to all of our teen girls the the babysitters for the evening we've got pj solace who i totally love uh totally 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 which one is she <laughs> which one is she the one who says nothing but totally <laughs> oh gosh none of these teenagers left an impression on me uh she's the blonde one and she mostly oh, just says totally yeah Give me oh, okay okay uh uh so i can't remember her character's name i think it's linda uh, no she's annie no she is linda no, she's linda and the, the other one's annie other one the loud one's annie and jamie lee curtis is Lori. right uh and so the three of them are walking home together and uh 
Laurie notices Michael following them in the stolen car, but uh, the others think he's someone else. They think he's some specific local jerk that they that they don't like. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, and she shouts, speed kills, jerk, at him. And he stops and, like, almost comes after them, maybe. It's a he's, weird, tense moment. Yeah, he stops. But the car's far enough away. You don't really see what he's doing in the car. It's it's it stops just like, for a while. Yeah, just long enough for them to feel uncomfortable about it. Yeah. And then, mercifully, he drives away. Yeah, and uh, like I, I like sort of the visual language of this area of the film because you get a lot of just these long, slow shots of people just sort of walking away from the camera. It, it's uh, sort of slowly getting dark. You have the leaves and the wind. It, it's just this uh, re- really setting the scene for the Halloween atmosphere. Like, it, it it's a, a a movie that deserves to be called Halloween, uh, even though it has not a lot to do with Halloween as uh, a holiday, other than you know it's it's Michael Myers and it takes place on Halloween, right? Yeah, that's that's all that there really that's yeah that's all that really links it to Halloween. But there's the atmosphere and just the score is so pure Halloween, like. Like you said, it it just that is the Halloween music, right? It's 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 like if the this is Halloween song for Nightmare Before Christmas isn't the Halloween theme song, then the Michael Myers song is. Yeah. Uh, and and we have the bit where uh, Michael hides behind a hedge, and uh, Annie think like Annie pretends that there's someone there after oh, he yeah, disappears. It's like you- he wants to talk to you, Lori. It's really cute. She's kind of a jerk to Lori in, in this movie. Actually, she calls off her own babysitter kid onto Lori, um, which turns out saved the kid's life. But that's, that's, that. Maybe. that's not the point. She like I, I the, yeah. Who who knows if Michael knows? was going to be after this kid or not? Hard to say. Uh, Probably because she was in the, she would have been in the house. I suppose so. Although, you know, I I can't think of any instances of Michael Myers attacking children in other entries in the series. Uh, but then I guess it doesn't really matter outside of this one. If uh, as viewing this one as a discrete entity, which clearly had no intent to be followed up by any of that often trashy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I do prefer to think of this one in total isolation from the others because it just works better. I, I feel like every addition to it is a detraction. Well, and, and they're not even the same consistent rules. Like, I wasn't joking when I said the timeline's complicated. It's, oh, yeah. It branches off, like, three or four different places. It's like, this how, this movie comes after number two, but that one comes after number one, and it ignores number two. Um, but they all branch off of number one. Yes. Uh, one is the Ur text, and uh, it, it kind of deserves to be the Soul text. I, I really don't like any of the other versions. Like, I, I respect at least that the Rob Zombie ones are completely their own entity, but I also hate them. <laughs> They're <laughs> fucking awful. So bad. Uh, 
although I'll, I'll revisit them eventually and maybe I'll like them a bit more, but uh, up to this point, it's a, it's a no. Yeah. Like the first one I saw, I think was either the curse of Michael Myers or H2O and neither of those were good. They're both awful. Those ones are very, very bad. Uh, H2O kind of is amusing in some ways and is sort of reasonably well-made, but it's kind of not even a horror movie. Like it's, it's like that happy death day to you thing. It's kind of just a blockbuster movie or, or like, uh, Freddy versus Jason, all, all the same sort of feeling, right, uh, right. big action movie with horror dressing. Uh, yeah, but Michael Myers doesn't work as an action antagonist really. Yeah. And it's weird because this movie has action energy like this movie is probably the most stripped down and just propulsive like this movie has incredible momentum because like what once we get past these sequences where we're introducing all of the characters there's a part where like they turn a corner and it's nighttime and then the whole rest of the movie is just him attacking them and like it, it never stops yep so first out here, uh, Annie and Lori run into her dad, the sheriff. Oh, right. Yeah, her dad's the sheriff. Um, Annie's dad, I think. Yes, Annie's dad. And yeah. this is where they run into him at uh, the uh, the hardware store. When, like, uh, Interestingly, the two of them are smoking weed and driving around. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that, way. no. Uh, Smoke but weed, I... yes. Drive around, yes. Don't do both at the same time. Right, absolutely. Uh, but I, I found that really interesting that Lori was participating in that, even though she was uh, very upset when she felt like the sheriff potentially knew about it. She got very, very paranoid about it afterward. That's just weed paranoia. The sheriff wasn't even thinking about that. He was thinking about all the paperwork he's going to have to file from this hardware store break in. Oh, man, he stole another knife. That's like two more forms. Oh, wait, you know what? This scene happens a little bit earlier because first Lori runs into him because she's been spooked by Annie at the hedge. Oh, and then yeah. Annie leaves and she's looking back and walks into him. Yeah. He's, at this point, I got uh, you're right. I got it just seems got really. A, but yeah, I got a creeper vibe from the sheriff here. He has just such a great line. Uh, there, there's a podcast I listen to, uh, We Hate Movies, and for their Halloween uh, season, uh, they do like sort of dubstep song, and they use a sample of his line here. Uh, you know, it's Halloween. Everyone's entitled. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a very weird line. It sounds so sinister, but, you know, he's it just does. a friendly, weird guy he he's just her he just, friend's dad he's not creepy he just looks like that it's not yeah. his fault uh so what is it here uh we we just see oh th this is when Lori's just at home and like she sees michael lurking in the sheets outside like she just sees him in the blowing laundry oh yeah right. it's a good creepy shot very good yeah. And meanwhile, uh, Loomis goes to the cemetery. Oh, yeah. And the guy's got this whole story. It's like, well, you got your Michael Myers. Well, I got my Charlie Bobberdop, who uh, he also killed people. There's no Halloween movie about him. Oh, the gravestone we're going to visit is missing. Well, my huh. job's done. 
Well, I once they're gone, I mean, I can't go find them. <laughs> it seems like it's your job now. I'm a grave digger, not a grave finder. <laughs> so it's after this that they uh, run into the sheriff at the hardware store and also where Loomis meets up with the sheriff for the first time. Yeah, and that's where he's explaining, like, like what's going who on. He who yeah. he is. Yeah. And also notably in the same scene, Michael goes by in the background. So all of the important characters cross over in this one scene at the hardware store. Yeah, he's just driving in the background in Loomis's car, I realized. And Loomis just doesn't see him. Yeah, because he's just right behind him. Yeah. Uh, A really great shot, just uh, him slowly, calmly taking a long left and just driving right past behind him. Yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) – there's so many shots of just like him in the background that I probably didn't even notice. Yeah, it's it's great. There's there's one much later on where the screen is really dark, and if you had your brightness set just the right way, you could just see his – the outline of his mask. yeah. He just slowly emerges from the dark. That, I, like, I know the shot you mean. So good. Yeah, it's it's like those ninjas from John Wick 2 or 3 that actually were able to hide in the darkness like ninjas are supposed to. And Michael Myers can do that, too. Yeah, because he is a ninja, an evil ninja. I guess a lot of ninjas are evil. Ninjas, ninjas tend to be evil. <laughs> it's certainly in the 80s. You get good ninjas, but they're... They're the exception. Yeah, no, they're usually like some this one exceptional ninja fighting against an evil clan. Yeah, you, do, you don't get the hordes of good ninjas. <laughs> Although that would be an interesting movie, too. Oh, God. Uh, one thousand ninjas. Only one of them can actually survive. I mean, necessarily. It's just going to be that way. Well, that, that's always the way it is with ninjas. If there's a lot of them, the, the more of them there are, the less effective they are. Oh, it's a it's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so this is basically the point when it is when they're driving back and she's talking about being weirded out by, you know, she's paranoid about the sheriff maybe smelling weed on them. And then they turn a corner and it's nighttime. And right. now it's all yeah. just going to be the nighttime sequence for the rest of the movie. Yeah, that oh, that that was jarring. It's like, oh, OK, I guess guess all the pieces are in place now. We're just going to have the massacre now. Yeah, it's very sudden. It's like, oh, okay, I guess we're hitting the ground running. Holy shit. Uh, and Lori admits her crush on Ben Tramer on the drive home as well. Do we meet Ben? We don't meet Ben Tramer. We do not. Uh, he appears in the second film, and uh, <laughs> he meets a very unkind end. <laughs> what happens does michael kill him uh no <laughs> actually really? he, no yeah it's it's very silly unfortunately like uh people kill him thinking he's michael <laughs> oh the, the very thing that uh loomis warns about to the sheriff about like he wants to put out an apb for this guy he's like oh, if you yeah. do that they're just gonna see him everywhere we're we're going to have people going after him and seeing Michael Myers in every shadow. And we're just going to be flooded with all these useless reports. And that's yeah, what happens. That's right. 
so that's the next night that's what happens and uh just people form a mob and (laughs) the second one's interesting It, it has its moments all right uh so what is it here uh we see that michael is following them on the drive home too oh yeah really not being subtle about it either he's he wasn't he must not have been very good at those grand theft auto missions no and i guess that's also sort of the point is that you know they've seen this car all day and laurie has been suspicious of the car a a lot of the times she's seen it and i feel like maybe it's kind of purposeful to have her smoke weed here and be concerned with this other stuff to be paranoid about and not noticing it following them the rest of the way that would do it Mm-hmm. Do it. Uh, and here is also where Loomis and the sheriff visit the Myers house. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a dog. We don't even see the dog, but there is one. Yeah, a, a dog which has been eaten partially. Um, yeah, so did the dog die.com? You, you find out what happens before you find out that there was a dog. So Although there is it, it also dies. another dog that does die, that he does kill. Yeah, he's he's not. Additionally, <laughs> he's not a friend of dogs. No. Uh, and this is where we get that really great line where he says that Michael Myers had the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. <laughs> so good. Just a perfect delivery too uh such interesting delivery uh for loomis very nervous character like necessarily oh yeah he's terrified the whole time uh so he decides to just stake out the myers house he's just gonna hang out there and this is where he's like look don't don't set an apb we're just gonna get these false reports just come check on check in with me later yeah, and he just hangs out at the house and this felt kids. like a Leo <laughs> This felt like a Leo Bane moment here. It's like I'm just going to hang out and what are you gonna do? Convince my Michael to Michael, you need to stop killing people. Well he, he has a gun. Weed. Oh yeah, that's right. He was gonna shoot Michael. Yeah, his whole idea, he was definitely going to kill him on sight. That was the whole idea. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Duh. That's even what he ends up trying to do. <laughs> Yeah. And as well, just he thought he did it. Yeah. And, and the other thing as well, just to keep people away from the house and potentially from attracting him. Uh, so I, I really like the scenes of him scaring kids away and how kind of delighted he is that first time. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a little bit later than this, but, you know, from here, we're kind of really stuck in with the the babysitter storylines just want to mention it that you know before uh, when when the cop comes back this the the second time but right before that he's scaring some kids away and he's like get your ass away from there like throwing his voice and when they run away scared it it cuts to him just sort of giggling with delight (laughs) (laughs) oh it's such a good performance i love it so much it's so fun it didn't need to be there at all and there it is it's just it's nice (laughs) uh so uh the the babysitting sequences begin uh we have annie on the phone with laurie and she says that she told ben about the crush on him uh and it's this whole thing that's hanging over laurie's head that's going to just make her nuts all night (laughs) 
Just this beyond. is the worst thing that could ever happen to Laurie Strode. Yeah, exactly. She she cannot let go of it. Like every time she talks to Annie from this point forward, it's the forefront thing in her mind, and she's kind of not really taking Tommy seriously with the the boogeyman stuff, even though she'd been seeing this guy lurking she, around all day and been creeped out by it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like you have seen the boogeyman. You you you've seen him too. Exactly. And I I do feel, again, it's, you know, she's got this other thing that's burning at her mind. So she's also busy babysitting and she just doesn't have time for this third thing that's kind of in the past now. And she's had a couple other things to get really worried about since. Yeah. And like, I just she can start she'll she'll start worrying about the boogeyman again. Exactly. It's going to come up again. Uh, But just. as a person with anxiety, I, I really appreciate that sort of approach where she's just layered a different level of anxiety on it. Now, she can't get back to the other one. It just doesn't exist anymore. There's these other things that need to be dealt with first. You know, that makes sense. I do sometimes. One of my things I always say is, OK, that's it. No more problems are allowed to happen in my life. Any other problems that uh, you dump at my feet are just going to stay dumped at my feet. Yeah. <laughs> nothing else nothing else is getting solved right now. Uh and so meanwhile while Annie is on the phone she spills butter all over herself. Oh god, yeah. And she has to go get changed and go out to uh the creepy little laundry room. Oh yeah. The the weird creepy I thought she was like going into somebody else's house. Yeah, it's very strange. I've never really seen a setup like that because, like, this family, I guess, uh, uh, Lindsay's family. Yeah, Lindsay is the 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 girl no, she's babysitting. Yeah, the little girl. Oh my god, and she's such a bitch. Lindsay, where's this? Where's that? Oh my god, Lindsay. <laughs> it's like you are babysitting her. And, and then you she are the adultish. Sort of. And like she has to be saved by Lindsay because she's stuck in the window. She's kind of like Pooh Bear. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she she tries to get out the window because she accidentally locks herself in with the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> the girl has to come and help her out. And like it's sort of an interesting tense scene where you think maybe Michael might get her or and or the girl. But he's off doing something else at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's uh. Turns well, out he's, he's actually setting up a whole big thing. Right. And this is where Tommy sees him instead. So he's busy creeping out Tommy rather than dealing with whatever Annie's doing at this point, I guess. And this is also when he Annie, kills I'm the sure. dog. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, like, he kills the dog when she's on the phone with Lori the next time uh, after, like, she, you know, she's in the blanket outfit and and just underwear and a blanket and high knee socks. <laughs> a friend of ours uh, went as Annie after having spilled butter on herself for Halloween one time. It was a pretty good outfit. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's great. Uh, so notably what uh, Tommy and Lori are watching on TV is the thing from another world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was watching this and I'm like, didn't this come out before The Thing? Right, the, that's the movie that The Thing is a remake of. Yeah, and, and I was like, I recognize this logo with the light coming through it. 
that movie's not out yet. I didn't know it was a remake. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that that or was the original. I did and forgot about it. I think we talked about it briefly. We probably did. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that was really cool to see that in there. Obviously, uh, Carpenter was just a really big fan right from the beginning, and this is one that he really wanted to do for a while. Must have been. Uh, so we have the whole drama with the laundry. She gets locked in. She gets stuck in the window. And she gets her like foot stuck on the, the rack, and the girl has to come out and help her. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. The only thing that's missing is she doesn't step on a rake. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul calls. And oh, yeah, this, uh, this Paul guy. Paul's kind of a creep. Uh, he he calls and Annie wants to get laid, so she sends Lindsay over to the Doyle's house so he she can hang with Tommy instead. Because I think she's kind of got a thing for Tommy. And I don't know the I don't know the kids drama baby. It kind of seems like that. She's she, like that. That's the, yeah, what the draw is. At least. Yeah. It's like you could watch movie. How about if I could set it up so you can watch movies with Tommy Doyle? And it's like okay. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Tommy will grow up to be Paul Rudd. No. Oh, like the character will. The character, yeah, he's not played by Paul Rudd here. Uh, it, Paul Rudd plays Tommy Jarvis as an adult in, I want to say, Curse of Michael Myers. One of those, like one of the '90s ones. He's Tommy Jarvis, and he's a creepy voyeur adult. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> of course. Uh, so here's where we get the first kill, uh, and it's it's surprising that it comes so late. Uh, yeah, cons- we're we're pretty far in now. We're we've got like maybe half an hour left. Yeah, and it's it's gonna just like really be nonstop from this point. But it's not like a big body count. It's not like a huge blood and guts type of movie. It's just it feels that way because of how efficient it is and how kind of how much momentum there is once it starts happening. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's Annie. She she gets in the car to go pick up Paul and Michael is in the back seat. Oh yeah. Oh, what does he do here? Does he, is this he just uh, he just strangles strangles her. her. And I, I think she, like, kicks out the window while she's being strangled. Okay. Uh, but, like, yeah, just, just strangled from the back seat. Uh, and then we see the kids watching, I think, Forbidden Planet here. And Tommy is trying to spook Lindsay by, like, hiding behind the curtains. Oh, yeah, right. And then he turns around and sees Michael carrying Annie's body and they bump into each other and they have a little kid freak out. <laughs> I really yeah. like that scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> they, they both just build on each other's fear energy. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're not really paying attention to what's going on across the road. Right. Michael's just carrying this body into the house. Yeah, I mean, Tommy saw him going, and that's what freaked him out. And then, you know, uh, Laurie just starts getting pissed off at him. It's like, there's no such thing as the boogeyman. You need to stop this. And you're scaring Lindsay. You're scaring Lindsay, not 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 me, who was stalked by a boogeyman. I'm not scared, but you scare her. It's not yeah. Cool. I just want to forget that I was stalked by a boogeyman. Yeah. 
Uh, and and this is around where we we see the sheriff check in again with Loomis, uh, and it's again he says, "If you're right, damn you for letting him go." And I mean, again, <laughs> not fair to Loomis, who really didn't want to let him go in the slightest. Yeah, he like he said every time he gets a chance, he's like, like even at the beginning, the nurse is like, "Well, if you don't think you should go, then why are you?" doing this thing to it's like, like well it's it's the it's, it's the, the law. law i have to i have to i if i want to keep him in there i have to show up for these things and say that he should not be let out basically uh so this is when pj solace and or it, right it's not paul uh who's weird it's bob uh, pj solace and her weirdo boyfriend bob show up in his van Oh, yeah, we don't even meet Paul, do we? Yeah, I guess not. He he never really turns up. I don't know what happened. He, he was just expecting a ride from Annie and just never got one. And he's probably... I guess so. Probably he probably still, shows up in two. I can't remember, though. Uh, he's probably still waiting on the porch. Still. Oh, I mean, he was grounded. Oh, right. Like He was right. supposed to sneak out. So maybe because she couldn't come get him and then he couldn't get her on the phone. He just didn't oh. sneak out, I guess. Well, you know what? Guess I just don't got to deal with the Michael Myers bullshit tonight. Yeah. Thanks, Annie, for not showing up. Paul got and off easy. He did. And so, like, PJ Solis and her boyfriend show up to have sex in the house a in friend the house. of theirs is babysitting it. Yeah. Like, it's not their friend's house. It's not their house it's just a house that a friend is babysitting at that it's not the house that they're babysitting it's the house that they're like, yeah this is you're too far removed from this house to be having sex here like, and, and bob is, is says a really weird line too <laughs> oh what what was it he said here well she's saying uh i'll, I'll rip my clothes off and then uh, uh, you rip your clothes off and he like includes Lindsay in the taking the clothes oh off. Oh my god, that's like, right. Oh ooh. god, I had blocked that out. Um, that's a weird line. Wow. Like, oh, what? <laughs> Excuse what? me. Yeah. See, I didn't real. I thought he was talking about like Linda, but I guess the girl was Linda. I. It, it yeah, didn't Lindsay, not Linda. Because I couldn't figure out anybody's because I didn't know anyone's right. names. <laughs> and then it's like. I was like, as uh, soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that's. That's that's real gross. That's real gross. <laughs> this is problematic. Uh, yeah. And they call Lori and they find out that they have the house to themselves at the moment because she says that Annie has gone to pick up Paul. So they that's why they're re- expecting uh, Annie not to be there and also the kid not to be there. So they know they can just go fuck in the master bedroom. <laughs> just don't and have behind me underwears. Uh, and and specifically, they have sex by pumpkin light, just having <laughs> sex by the light of a jack o' lantern. I love that. That's the most Halloweeny thing. It's so great. It's it's pretty good. And then and then they're like, this is the uh, the part where like they're done. Yeah. It's like, do you want a beer? Yeah, I do. Go get me one. I thought you were going to get me one. And then it's just this dumb argument over who's going to get beer. And she's just like, the girl's like, get me a beer. I I love PJ Solis so much. Uh, She's in a bunch of great stuff. She's uh, the main character in uh, the Ramones movie, Rock and Roll High School. 
Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Totally love her. Uh, and yeah, just such a fun delivery. Bob, give me a beer. <laughs> it, it, it is kind of adorable. I, 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 I should hate this no. character, but I'd get her a beer too. Yeah. And then so we, I'd just go and get impaled on a wall. And yeah, this is such a crazy kill. Uh, he, he just goes downstairs and Michael grabs him by the throat and lifts him up and just one hard stab all the way through him into the wall. And then he just steps back and admires it for a second. Yeah. So I actually want to, because this one stuck out to me Mm -hmm. because he just, he comes basically out of nowhere, like just from off screen, grabs him, like pushes him up against the wall. It's really fast. And then lifts him up, and it's got like the tense music, the tense music, and he lifts the knife. It's like, oh, this guy's getting stabbed so many times. And then it's just one, it's just like a wet. Yeah. And then the music stops, and he just leaves the knife there, lets go, and walks back. And and we have that really great shot. Like we have a couple shots in between of his feet hanging off the floor to yeah. show him off, and we just see them still, like the the muscle tension go away as he dies mm-hmm. and then he just steps back for like just to look at it and his head tilts like he's admiring it from different angles and we're on this shot for like almost a minute yeah he, he just tilts his head one way and then the other like hmm yeah <laughs> it's it's chilling it's so fucking good yeah and, um, and then we get my favorite kill uh, right, so he 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 goes up in his ghost costume. <laughs> he gets a ghost costume. He takes Bob's pedophile glasses. <laughs> he puts a bed sheet over himself and then puts the glasses over the sheet. Yeah, and then just goes up into her to the the master bedroom. Parent or the friend's employer's master bedroom. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, she like she's like kind of creeped out by it and she's kind of amused by it. And then she gets bored with it and she just ultimately just phones Lori instead of continuing to react to him. Yeah. She's just like, get me a beer. Where's my beer? Oh, fuck this. And then, and that's when he fucking gets her is he waits until she makes the phone call. Yeah. Just like kind of to add to the terror of what's going on with Lori uh, and he strangles her with the phone cord so she can't speak and just making sounds. At first, it sounds like she's well, at first, it sounds like she's having sex. And I guess that's what Lori assumes. It's like, Annie, did you call me in the middle of sex? That's gross. Yeah. And she's and like she's sort of suspicious as well. Like she is a little uncomfortable with the sounds that are being made. like something isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't want to believe it's something really bad. Like much with all of the stuff with the kid and the boogeyman, she's just kind of putting that, you know, a trash cat mashes the trash down with the trash masher, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, but like, yeah, you can't deal with that shit because now, now Ben Stein knows I love him. <laughs> ben Tramer. <laughs> oh, Ben the Stein. First ben that I can Ooh. think of that wasn't. Uh, that's so revolting. <laughs> <laughs> That's my headcanon now. Ben Stein oh. went to, it goes to their high school. 
She just really wants to win Ben Stein's money. <laughs> the the other one was Ben Shapiro, and I didn't want to go down <laughs> that road. <laughs> Some bad bands. the right one. I'm sure uh, there's good Bens. There's certainly good Bens. Uh, so uh, here Lori sees the lights kind of flick on and off upstairs there, uh, which also creeps her out. Yeah, at this point she's kind of watching the she's watching the house because she knows something isn't right there. Yeah, and she phones back and doesn't get a response, which is also, you know, troubling, but not something that's immediately alarming because there is no answer. Like there's, it's it's still just an open question, mm-hmm. uh, which which is just you know cool. I I like how they they use. Just the empty night and and just the weird darkness and sort of strangely, uh, strangely isolated nature of the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my things is like my favorite hallow, like my favorite horror setting is anything where you're just isolated, where you're cut off. Um, like my favorite setting is the Nostromo. You can make any uh, any yeah. monster or scare any horror movie a hundred times scarier if you send it on the nostromo try it for anything it works the right and that is a haunted nostromo, house movie. yeah like, yeah it's a slasher movie it's a haunted house movie like it's just in space completely yeah but yeah, yeah but it works because like you already know one there's no escape two no one can come for you like even if they know where you are and what's going on they can't get to you yeah so and I got a little bit of that here because we find out he like cut the he cut the phone line at some point. Um, Probably early been, on. Yeah. Well, no, I guess not. It must be quite recently because they've been on the phone with each other a bunch of times. Yeah. So like he's he's kind of systematically doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's but we don't see him doing it. We only ever see we only ever see him when he's interacting with another character. Yeah, or like someone sees him pass by. Yeah. Like there's a lot of that where just someone gets a glimpse of him. Yeah, but we never see what he's up to when he's by himself. Um, right, because he doesn't. I don't think. He, he kind of doesn't exist by himself. He's just sort of an agent of malice. Yeah, yeah. But we learn he's been doing all this stuff in the background as we start to find out. Right. And uh, one so one thing here that I think is maybe a bit of a cheat is Loomis just kind of suddenly notices the stolen car and like, haven't, hasn't he been in just the same spot all night? How did he just notice it? Like across the street from him? (laughs) Well, I think at this point he, I guess he's maybe just walking around the neighborhood now. He just sort of started walking. He realizes that like, why isn't Michael coming back here? This is weird. Um, Something else must be up. And I, I, and I feel like he walked a, bit before he found the car it could be because like it's it's really hard to say and i guess this is also part of the suburbs thing is that the suburbs at night are really hard to find your way around when you're walking unless you live there because (laughs) all the houses kind of look the same and just they the the way the suburbs are designed just things tend to wander around a lot like just uh, the way streets line up and, or, or don't line up or don't line up or there'll just be identical ones in a bunch of parallels. And it's just so easy to 
Like it, it's disorienting. Uh, at any point, Loomis could be any distance from everyone else. Yeah. Like yeah. we don't know how far anyone is away from anyone. Well, we know the two houses are at least across right. the street from each other, but we don't know where Michael is in relation to this. Well, we know, we do know that Michael is uh, right around the corner, or at least uh, we know that the uh, the Myers house is right around the corner because we saw her drop off the keys as well. So we know it's oh, yeah. all very close in the same neighborhood, but the exact like the the way things line up or where anyone is going it's so anonymous at any time it's like well they're in a, they're on a suburban street near maybe each other <laughs> yeah true true because it does take loomis a bit of time to get there right uh and so here is where laurie goes across the street to finally see what's up and she finds out what's up yes uh she gets in the open kitchen door uh, which is where Bob was killed, but she doesn't. He's not there anymore. Yeah. Uh, so she goes upstairs and uh, she finds the Judith Myers headstone in the bed where uh, the sex was. Yeah, with Annie's body like just lying there, um, like a like a T pose almost. Yeah, kind of like she's sort of standing in as the surrogate sister here. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I got to say, when I saw that headstone, I I was like, oh, Jesus, this was. This was just meant to make somebody really fucking scared. Yeah, <laughs> there's no reason for it besides that. And then they find and like she finds all the bodies like the bodies just kind of are spring loaded to uh shock her when when she like reacts to the first one like uh i think bob's body falls out of a closet yeah and then like she opens up another door and there's uh the blonde annie? girl yeah. no annie because uh, it's it's uh, the blonde girl is the one on the bed oh oh she's the one on the bed i thought it... i think yeah i or yeah linda I on the matter. bed annie annie in the closet i believe uh and then what is it here? Uh, th this is that shot where Michael just very slowly appears next to Laurie in the doorway when she's at the top of the stairs. Oh, yeah, that that dark one I was talking about. Yeah. He just comes out of the darkness. And interestingly, he slashes at her and misses. Like, he just cuts her shirt and she falls down the stairs. I almost wonder if he was trying to kill her with that slash because he's definitely set this whole thing up for her um, yeah i guess so but it, it's sort of like there there's no clear rationale to anything he does because no. there's nothing behind what he does he just wants yeah, to you kill can't ask him yeah he's he's just the boogeyman yeah. Uh, and he's braced the back door with the rake so she can't get out so she has to break the door to escape Oh, yeah, with her hand. Uh, and then no one will help her. Like, she's just running from house to house and screaming. Uh, and just that that really chilling moment when someone's lights come on and she kind of sees their silhouette in the window and she screams for help and they just turn the lights back out. Yeah. I, I, I thought when I, I had a thought at this scene, I was like, did he 
he kill everyone on the street so she wouldn't have anyone to go to? And no, I, I don't it's, think he did. No, it's it's just that no one is really willing to get involved, and and I think that's that's a carpenter theme. It's just like yes, it is. Most people don't want to get involved in anything. Man, I uh, don't want to put on the glasses. Don't want to put on those glasses. Uh, so she has to get Tommy to let her back into uh, the Doyle house. Oh my God, this is actually terrifying because he's walking after her. You can see him walking across the street, and, and Tommy just, just very kind of slowly, like yep. okay, the sleepy you. kid walk, I'm like yeah, I'm yep. coming, I'm coming. God, fine, you're in, and he lets he lets her in just in time, just in time. Uh, and then everyone's on full alert. But of course, Michael does end up getting in through one of the windows, I guess. I, I guess so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he, um, he comes up from behind the couch and she stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Then she does what you don't do. <laughs> she drops the knife. She she keeps... She, I, I believe she drops the knife three separate times. Like she gets it and loses it multiple times without it being t- even taken from her. Man, the Jamie Lee Curtis of 2020 wouldn't do that. Indeed. And that's because it's both the same character who learned from these mistakes, but it's also the culture has learned from the mistakes. Like it, it, this is so ingrained in it, but like I get it in the original intention that it's just, you know, she's so shell shocked by this. And also oh, yeah. you don't she, expect the monster to get up because you still think it's a man. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's, there's a couple times like here. They, I think they go upstairs. Oh yeah. No, she, she uh, is trying to get the kids to run across the street and call the police. Right. And, and she's it's don't worry. I killed him. Uh, and uh, Tommy's like, you can't kill the boogeyman. And then he just like just charging up the stairs at them. Yeah. Like right behind. Um, and then she, Lori goes and hides in a closet and. Um, that she gets a coat so hanger. Good. Yeah. Like she she stretches out a coat hanger so she can. uh stab one of his eyes out yeah yeah but like he's rattling this door and he's trying to get into this closet and it's well, he's so... like smashing through the slats yeah yeah he ends up smashing it and and you're just like how the hell is she gonna get away but and it's she's... quite intense like it's it's yeah. a very great intense sequence uh and really well coherently shot given the limited tiny space because we're seeing it from within the closet yeah you like it's that he like ends up hitting the light bulb to turn it on and then hits it to turn it off again. And um, yeah, it's really it's, it's a really good sequence there. Yeah. And so like she gets him in the eye with the coat hanger and he drops the knife. So she stabs him again with his own knife and gets him. And then she drops the knife again and leaves the room. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, she's, no, I get she's it. She's gone through a lot. She, it's just, it's the second time that I was like, no, no, this time, just, just really hold on, please. 
Uh, but she sends the kids to the Mackenzie house. Just like, okay, th- these are some people I actually know that won't be dick bags and we'll let you in. Please go, go to this house and get them to call the police. Uh, and Loomis is outside passing by. Uh, so he sees them running out of the house. So he comes in. Mm-hmm. And here's where he, here's like, he pulls out his gun. He's going up the stairs um, uh, and we see Laurie and we see behind Laurie, uh, Michael just sitting back up again, like he's just come back online. Yeah, like like the like the just woke up, like got out of the coffin, just sits up. Yeah, uh, I, I really like just sort of the mechanical energy of it. He's like, well, back online. It's time to kill again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes at her and she pulls the mask off. This part was like, this part was weird because I I paused it. You can clearly see his face. Mm-hmm. Um, for only like half a second, but you can, if if you pause it on the frame, you can see what he looks like. And I'm like, and he's normal. He 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 looks normal. And yeah, that that's the point. He's supposed to just be a normal guy. Like he isn't a monster. Like he's just been in a mental institution since he was a kid. And like people kind of say like, oh, he no, he has a fucked up face. Like he has that weird eye. And it's like he got poked in the eye with a coat hanger a couple minutes ago. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> been stabbed a bit. That's the point. fucked up eye. That's why. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's just normal. But like he's got some sort of psychosis about wearing a mask when he does these things like that's what we saw at the start he put on the mask and that's when he started killing so he has to put it back on yeah and he he does that before he does anything else yeah it freezes him in place Mm -hmm. which is that's that's how he gets shot isn't it yes loomis shoots him six times uh he is not messing around (laughs) yeah six times and he goes out the balcony over the over the window and uh, then you get that that famous shot of him. Well, first. Okay, first. First, uh, Laurie's like, it was the boogeyman. Uh, and his fantastic, fantastic line, uh, Loomis, as a matter of fact, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we, we cut to outside and the body is gone. And and ah, that, and that's it. That's the end of the movie. It's like, oh my God. It, it, the it's, not just, just, it's not just that you didn't kill the boogeyman and like he could strike again. He is like the night's not even over. Yeah, he's he's off and running like two. They he's still going. They they need to still catch him and stop him. Like the the the, the incident isn't over. No, it's not resolved. It's not even like. And so that's kind of why they made the mistake of doing Halloween 2 being Michael Myers again and following up instead of following through with the anthology format and doing another story. Yeah, because like as I was as I realized, I didn't realize that that shot of him not being on the ground was the end of the movie. Right. I thought that was like that was building up to the final one where they catch him or whatever and then it'll be the end of the movie. And it's like, no, they, they don't catch him. Yeah, no. They just, don't stop him. They don't kill him. They He's not even. Yeah, he, like, he's not even there. You can't even, kill the boogeyman. He, he, he's, he's just, he's not even done for the night. Nope. 
<laughs> he could still kill more people tonight if he wanted to. It's it's like a cliffhanger ending, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? This is kind of the perfect ending for this. He's still out there. He could it, be anywhere. Let's let's leave it at that. I, I agree. And like, I, I would say that this movie is absolutely perfect. Like it's, it's perfect. There, there is nothing that I would change about it. Just everything works so well. It, it works a lot better without all the Michael Myers lore. Yeah. And like the druids and the runes. Oh, and, oh. The, the sacrifices. And it's just, <laughs> no, like, oh, nope. no, there's no, there's no mental or there's no magical aspect. He's just a jerk. A jerk well, who needs to be locked away for a real evil jerk. Except it, it is supernatural because he is unkillable. Like, he is completely unstoppable. It's just there's no rationality behind it. There's no reason for it. It's just he is something wrong in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I fucking love it. It's so goddamn good. <laughs> it, it's, it's probably the scariest like straight slasher movie that I've seen. I think so too, because it's like, there are very few of them that actually sort of work as scares. Most of them are, you know, as they came to be known body count films. And it's just more a matter of like setting up characters that you want to see die and then making all those characters die. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it turned into you're cheering for the slasher. Right. And because, you know, you're going to have like eight movies with the slasher, but each of these you know, randos that they kill. They're only there for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it creates a very strange genre. And it, like, it, it doesn't really create it, but the, the slasher genre evolves out of Halloween and Friday the 13th. Even though it sort of existed prior to it, like this really is ground zero. Because oh, this movie yeah. is so successful. Like this movie made all the money and cost nothing. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess it wouldn't have cost all that much to make, would it? Yeah, I mean, it's just a it little independent film. It like it was expensive. But, like, it, it looks, it has great production value. Like, ev- sure. every element of it, like, looks great. It's so beautifully shot. Uh, even though most of the cast are more or less unknown, like, this is introducing Jamie Lee Curtis, and they're great. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone is really good. That's true, yeah. Like, like I believed her her mental breakdown as all this was happening. It's like, mm, if you're going to play the realistic reaction as opposed to the I'm going to be a badass and kill the killer reaction, this is how you do it. Absolutely. This is, this is what probably a normal person would do in this situation. Just make not bad decisions or baffling decisions, but just absent-minded decisions. Like you're not yeah. thinking about the knife when the guy got stabbed because you just stabbed a guy in the neck. You probably you yeah, have a lot of shit on your mind. You've never really stabbed someone in the neck before. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's great and uh, like and and everyone is really good. Like I I so love Pleasance's Loomis uh, and and all of like the small characters. I think the kids are very authentic. They feel like real kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the kids feel real. Even the the teenagers do. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're just uh, yeah yeah. They're kind of catty. They get into silly situations, but like n- none of them are like bad natured. They're just you know they're just yeah, you teens. Don't, they're just you don't you don't need 
you don't want to see these people get killed. They're not obnoxious. They're just kind of regular folks. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's why this works. It, the slasher is still the villain. Yeah. And he's completely unknowable. Like, he, mm-hmm. we're, there's no tragic backstory. Uh, and there doesn't need to be one. He is just an embodiment of evil and an unstoppable force. Yep, yep. It's great. That's, yeah. All right, so any last thoughts on Halloween before we move on to our second movie? Um, well, I was, uh, yeah, how many more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween? I think it's like four or five. Five at, at days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Five, yeah. Five, yes. Silver Shamrock. Although by the time this episode will go up, uh, this should be going up on Halloween Day. Have so, a happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> uh, just make sure you turn off all the TV channels, even Channel 4. Turn it off now! So th- this is your first viewing of Halloween, uh, yes. right? Yes, it is. This is my first time watching the original. Um, I have seen... Now I've seen this one. I've seen a lot of the newer ones, like from the 90s, but I don't think I've seen all of them. Uh, and and you, Halloween would say, 3. Would you say that it lives up to its legend then? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Like, it, in my mind, Michael Myers was always been what I picture when I picture a slasher. And, like, here it's like, okay, well, now, now I see, like, here he's being scary and not just killing people. He's scary in this. And yeah. Just like, he, he's just a force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's just terrifying here instead of being like some sort of weird druidic messenger who's after specifically <laughs> his sister only. I don't know. That That's just like less interesting. That that narrows the scope too much to make him to keep him interesting. Yeah. Uh, which is why I guess the timelines are so confusing. They're like, you know what? We don't want any of that bullshit. We'll we'll just cut this much of it out. Uh, and then, you know, with the 2018 one, let's cut all of it out except the very first one. And we're, we're just going to go from ground zero again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I get that. Uh, yeah. It still makes for a very hilarious, complicated timeline if you look at the chart. It, oh, it yes. reminds me of the Legend of Zelda timeline, except... Except they, uh, in Legend of Zelda, they tried to shoehorn in a timeline after the fact. Right. This just, nobody intended to make a timeline and it just got complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, it was always the intent for this to just be an anthology series in the first place. It was like, well, it's Halloween, so it'll be just stories that happen on Halloween night. But then they did a story on November 1st for the second one, and they screwed it all up. <laughs> I'll have to check out Halloween 2 sometime just to see what I do like it. happened. Yeah, it's not bad, but it's my third favorite, and then all of the others are like number five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first three are worth seeing, and I kind of like the 2018 one. Pretty much all of the rest are awful. Uh, although some of them are fun bad, so it's, it's variable. All right, uh, so shall we move on to part two? Yeah, let's do it. And we are back for part two, where we're going to be discussing John McNaughton's The Borrower, uh, which totally rules. 
It's insane. Uh, I, I don't know what to I didn't know what to expect after everything you said, but huh. <laughs> so but before we get into that, uh, we want to briefly talk about a couple other movies that we uh, talked about or that, that we watched on the weekend. We, we hung out on Sunday and watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors first, which was my first ever time watching a Freddy movie. Yeah, the your very first Nightmare on Elm Street. So just general thoughts on Freddy and just uh, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise from your current impressions. Um, it's so upsetting that we're laughing <laughs> at this guy who's murdering children and psychologically torturing them and physically torturing them in their dreams, but he's funny. And he always calls them bitch, too. <laughs> like, notably, welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> and, and, and he's killing these children in these horrible ways. But, like, uh, it's the effects not... are amazing. Like, the they, effects they really are so are. good. Uh, just the the various Freddy morphing into giant weird things, like when he's a big worm trying to eat someone at some point in it. Or when his head comes up out of the top of the TV. Oh, yeah. And just like techno arms and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what else? We, we got. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, the scene with all the tendons, the marionette scene. Oof. Ooh. Ugh. Some of the stuff like it, it's quite gross. Like it's, it's, it's the. The horror in this one isn't totally sanded off. Like, I do feel as you move through the series, it becomes more and more comedic and less horror. There's still some hardcore stuff in this one. Oh, this this, this one's brutal for all its, I guess, whimsy. There's a lot of comedy in it. I think John Saxon is really fun. When he shows up, he's like a drunken wreck from what happened in the first film. <laughs> Uh, and so, like, it's the the movie reunites Nancy and her dad and Freddy because you know the the second film doesn't feature any of the same characters as the first. Uh, the second one is uh, the second one is like the Halloween three of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. For a long time, it was the one that people were like, "We don't talk about that one. That one is strange and bad." But now it's kind of like. That's the second best one in the series after the first one, and all of the rest of them are just kind of uh, popcorn trash. <laughs> hmm. I, I think it's interesting how both of them have that sort of parallel and parallel energy, both in that like three became interesting because it's it's trying to do something different rather than rehashing the same plot, and then Nightmare on Elm Street two is so fascinating because it, it's. Uh, a gay allegory and just being and and very very direct about it. It's about how communism's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three Dream Warriors. This is the one where they're in a mental institution that is next door to the mental institution that Freddy was born in, I guess, or oh, conceived. Because okay. His mom is hanging, or his mom's ghost, the ghost, ghost. nun that was his mom, is hanging around uh, and tells the story of his being fathered by a hundred maniacs over Christmas. 
it's just it's it's uh it's kind of almost high camp but it's it's just very dark and twisted it's it's got it's got a fairy tale quality to it yeah well i mean the kids get superpowers kind of Mm -hmm. in their dreams they each have some kind of special power yeah Uh, one of them's a wizard one's a wizard one can do gymnastics uh the guy with the wheelchair can walk and the kid who doesn't talk can get with the hot nurse Oh yeah, uh, th- that's a really great Freddy uh, effect when he's shooting tongues at him, mm, and like right. he ties him up with a series of tongues that he like launches out of his mouth. <laughs> or, or oh, when he ties somebody up. Was it this movie where he tied somebody up to a bed and then the bed just fell out and it was just like a pit of fire? Same part. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. He ties him to the bed with tongues. <laughs> okay yeah he he shoots tongues at like each of his extremities and they tie around the wrists and and ankles to the uh bedposts right right there's just so much you can do when everything happens in a dream yeah and i guess that's what's great about the nightmare on elm street series is it's just there there's so much more room for imagination versus guy with a knife which is so many of the slasher movies uh, so we we probably won't talk a whole bunch more about it. It's just yeah, th- this one's great. It's the most fun uh, while still maintaining an, enough of an element of horror. Like I feel like it's probably the best balanced one in that regard. Where whereas I really like the first one uh, as just a genuine horror movie, and I really like the second one as a crazy horror movie. <laughs> Uh, and the other movie we watched uh, on Sunday was Amityville 1992. It's about time. No, it's about how Rusty is doing all these pranks to get attention. Oh, Rusty, what does he think he's doing with his uh, dangerous heavy metal lifestyle? <laughs> yeah, and making the room turn into a different room. Like, man, he is so oh, he's he's telling people that he saw the room turn into a different room and he's grounded for that. I feel so bad for Rusty in this movie, this poor kid. (laughs) So as I mentioned last week, uh, Amityville 92 is about a haunted clock. Demon clock. (laughs) It has all these magical powers, but it has this just mechanical like claw that anchors it to the mantle. So you can't take it out. I love that part so much because not only does it like dig into the mantelpiece to like be physically anchored so no one can like just pull it off the wall like you would do if you had a haunted clock. <laughs> it's just when it's doing that, it's doing it in the middle of the night and this lady comes out to like she thinks she hears something like what the hell is going on? And she listens and the clock has to stop and wait for her to stop listening before it continues. I love that so much. That's so great. <laughs> oh man, when the, when she went down and interrupted it, I bet that clock must have been really ticked off. Uh, <laughs> oh no. I've been waiting uh, for days to say it. <laughs> so we we're we're basically following this deadbeat architect dad who's just a jerkwad, just total trash. He he comes back from a business trip with this evil clock, uh, and his ex is taking care of the kids, and he kind of just pressures her into staying in the house for the whole movie. 
What? Well, well, he's a Harge, and she's a Carol. But yeah, kinda. Kind of. And she does empower herself at the end and leave. Although weirdly, the movie is sort of a loop where uh, something that we, we we see the opening scene happen again at the end with just a different outcome, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like there there are things set up from the end of the movie that happen in the opening scene that are not explained until the end. Uh, suggesting that this has already happened at least once before. Yeah, it, it suggests that, that that this is just like a whole endless time loop that's just forever. Yeah, which is really cool and unexpected for just this trashy direct-to-video Amityville sequel. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I just remembered about the freaking sister. <laughs> all of the weird stuff with the sister when she gets oh. sexy the clock makes her sexy <laughs> the clock makes her sexy and and it's like come on and she Rusty. eats that guy oh my god <laughs> in the train set i mean like uh, th- that's the best thing about this movie is i can make all of these statements about things that happen and anyone who has not seen is like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah, I mean, it's that's what the that's what watching this movie is like. There's the part where the architect gets mauled by the dog, <laughs> but then the dog didn't actually maul him. But then the dog is dead and like stuffed into a pool filter somehow. I don't know. Oh, that scene. There, there's some good. There's some good, gross, gross things or upsetting things. This one definitely kind of amps things up because it was direct to video. So it was allowed to have whatever gore they want to have in it and as much sex and nudity as they wanted to have in it. Whereas like the previous Amityville movie was made for TV, like starred Patty Duke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I absolutely love Amityville 92. And it's one that I enjoy more every time I watch it. Cause it's just so many silly zany elements, the stork truck. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and that, uh, ultimately we learned that the clock was owned by Gilles de Ray. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> the guy, Oh, that, that guy. Who yeah, a real, definitely like, know who it is and didn't it's, just suddenly forget. It's like an, an ancient, or not ancient, but like, you know, a, a couple hundred years ago, some evil guy in Europe who, uh, a, a child murderer, a notorious child murderer. Oh, yeah, and like, right, no... right. Anyway, uh, also totally recommend, I would say, 92, uh, Amityville 92. Uh, it's about time. It's about 1992. Everyone is dressed up in 1992. Oh, so much. And and it's a brand new tracked house. So it's a very 92 setting, like very specifically of that moment in time. Great stuff. Uh, so shall we move on to The Borrower? Oh, my gosh. Uh, this movie, I never knew where it was going to go next. It's right. So like, it's a trip. Right from the beginning, we start off, we have uh, this white room, like in The Matrix, and there's a bug guy, and there's this really buff dude on a table who's like, I don't know, he's kept in place by some sort of beam energy or whatever. And, and we mean right at the beginning, like... You get First thing we see. Before any end credit, or any opening credits. Yeah, cold just, open. Yep, yeah, just 
close up on this dude's face, like, am I? And then the am I dead? The alien is just explaining to him what the movie is going to be about. Yeah, he's uh, he's been sentenced to the worst fate that they have available in the entire intergalactic penal system. He's been devolved into a human and he has to live his life on Earth. (laughs) You know what? Uh, That actually makes a lot of sense. That explains so much about this planet. Yeah, and this is why he like he's a dangerous lunatic, and you know he's because he's been sentenced here. He's a mass murdering alien who's been sentenced to Earth. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and, and he ends up being like an evil Starman. Yeah, it it is Starman esque in a sort of way, even though like Starman is sort of uh, good the thing. Yeah. Yeah, and so like obviously he can't. Yeah, yeah, he can't transform or anything. Our our borrower, his body is a little unstable <laughs> <laughs> because the de-evolution process doesn't always work. And it's sort of um, like it's a thing where like if his body gets damaged, uh, it's hard to say how it might react. Like uh, some sometimes his head might just explode, and he's just got to get another one. Yeah. So he's dropped off on planet Earth, and immediately we encounter some hicks just out drinking and, like, uh, getting deer with flashlights. Yeah, yeah. In hunting the deer from inside their car with a rifle with, like, a homemade silencer that's a 7-Up bottle. Yep. Uh, and this, this is the kind of guy we got. And notably, it's Tom Tolls, who is Otis in Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, right. Uh, and he's he's great as a hick, as we already know. And he's going to be one of our main characters for a while because uh, they encounter the alien and the bug alien. And they shoot at the bug alien because, you know, they think he's harassing this human. Oh, I love this part. Like, they drop, they, they drop the alien man off on the planet and they immediately start fighting each other. Yeah. The guy just goes and tries to stab him and is like, wow, wasting no time here. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess he really was a dangerous, crazy guy. <laughs> I guess. Why, why he's been sentenced so, to this. So the hick shoots the bug alien, who is like, like, fuck this, I'm leaving. I I don't need to stay on Earth. These guys yeah. deal with this guy and now. He's like, all right, that's why this guy is sentenced here, not me. I'm out. <laughs> and we never see the aliens again. Nope. He's like, well, I've done my job. Fuck you. So, so the guy, the the hick is like, and and his son is like, oh man, I bet this guy's so happy to see us. We just saved him from that there alien. And the guy punches him, uh, sends him flying. Yeah, he like flies like a good ten feet, and then the body starts like mutating. Oh, yeah. There's something and- wrong with the body. Yeah, he gets, like, these claws, and then his head just kind of explodes. Uh, my my impression with the hands is that, like, that's probably what this guy's hands naturally look like when he's not in a human body. Yeah, that, that's kind of, that's what I got from this. Yeah, but we it's only the hands that we see, and then the head fucking explodes, which is so great. Really good head explosion, too. It's, it's very good. Um... 
and then I think I think after this we cut to uh, the badass cop, Radon Chong, who is way too badass of a cop for this movie. <laughs> this movie doesn't require somebody that badass. It's fun. She reminds me a lot. Like it's it's very similar to her character in Commando when she's Arnold's sidekick. Oh, that's is that what she was? Because I that's I knew I had seen her before. Yeah, she's in lots of stuff. Canadian actress, uh, a daughter of Tommy Chong, you know, Cheech and oh, Chong. Oh shit! Oh no yeah. way. Uh, and yeah, she's a lot of fun in this. She she's the lead detective, and she has this cynical asshole partner who just hates everything. <laughs> and she is, but she's also a loose cannon who plays by her own rules. Yeah, and she's also just like there. There's also this serial rapist that they're dealing with in parallel to the alien plot yeah yeah and for a long time the serial rapist plot ends up being like the main plot for a good while because they kill the aliens so not close to the end of the movie yeah there's a big section where it seems like oh well we're we're not dealing with the alien anymore and it just becomes the serial rapist story before, you know, the, the two come together at the end, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just like, but it was it's for such a long time. I'm like, is the alien, the background and the rapist, the real plot? It's very strange. Like, it's a very unusually structured movie. And I feel like maybe a little bit too much time is spent on the rapist part that would be better served and like maybe would balance the movie a little bit better if it were spent more with the alien plotline, which is just altogether a lot more fun. Yeah. The the rapist is like, he's not that interesting. No, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a rapist storyline. These people are boring monsters. Uh, yeah. Our, our titular monster is a lot more interesting. <laughs> he pulls people's heads off and he kind of is just, fascinated by humanity he's just kind of hanging out learning what humans do yeah yeah we don't he doesn't really try get a chance to do much of anything other than just wander around meet people um experience their lives and then take their heads and like notably he's never really killing people for fun in this he's just kind of ending up killing people when he needs a new head because some something has been done to him as usually and as someone who seems to be homeless that, that, that that's tip like he he very quickly becomes part of the homeless population mm-hmm. yeah he gets adopted by like this other homeless guy named like roosevelt julius something yeah uh and that guy's really fun too uh, and he becomes the second head for this guy, too. So he gets a lot of time in the movie as well. Uh, although first, of course, uh, the borrower is hit by a car. Oh, yeah, right. And he's and he's driving along with this lady. And, and this is where it started reminding me of Starman, because right. Starman is basically just this scene, but 
heartwarming and 90 minutes. <laughs> Whereas like her, she's like, she, she hit this guy. So she kind of has to pick him up and take him to the hospital. But she like, she really doesn't want to deal with this. And she just like is humoring him. And then as soon as they get to the hospital, she's like, okay, get out. Thank you very much. Get out. <laughs> okay. I'm going to drive away now. Bye. Bye. Just, just go through the door there. Just go to, okay, don't go through the door. I'm just going to leave. Whatever. Close my car door. Um, Super. Whatever. Okay, I'll just get that. Uh, and it's it's from her that she gets his sunglasses. And him just wearing these ladies' sunglasses for the first half of the movie is really great. <laughs> with, with, like, this big... Well, it's Tom Tolls. dude body, but, like, this hick head... Um, Right, the head's too small for the body, which happens a few times. Like he he has heads that are much too small for the body, which is a really cool look. Or 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 heads that are the wrong race for the yeah, body, notably. Or well, he he gets creative later on, and he just kind of keeps layering on different outfits on them too. So it just makes him look bigger and more bulky every time. I love that. <laughs> But he's mostly harmless. Almost. It's weird. He's kind of mostly harmless in a weird way. He's just kind of astounded by Earth culture. And I, I think that's kind of a, a weird element of social commentary in this, that like this is an alien madman who has been sentenced to Earth for just being horrible across the entire galaxy. And he gets to Earth and he just kind of vibes with humanity. It's like, oh, maybe I'll just hang out here. I get this. There's so <laughs> much like crime and stuff happening in the background it's one of these 90s like early 90s crime apocalypse movies yeah yeah where like where new york is just hell on earth yeah uh so what happens here like this, this is where he gets taken in by that guy like does he go into the hospital here and run into him there or is it later that he's only later uh, that he's in the hospital because i know he's I, in the hospital later on he, later on, he doesn't actually go to the hospital right now. Okay, he, he just wanders uh, away and runs into this guy, Julius. Yeah, he runs into this right. homeless guy who takes him to the, the soup kitchen. Right. Where <laughs> Deals he, with the jerk. He, he meets the asshole homeless guy who puts, <laughs> who puts a dead rat into his soup. He just eats around it and then eventually eats, just puts the rat in his mouth. And Julius is like, no, dude, don't do that. Spit it out, man. Come I, on. That's I love the performance here. Like, it, it's not even that he's eating around it. It's that he's like completely unconcerned by it. Like it's meaningless. Oh, to him. He's yeah. like, Oh yeah. Look at that. You put that in there, whatever. And he's eating. And it's like, Oh yeah. man, don't eat that. That's gross. And then he puts the, the whole mouse in his mouth and he's just like chewing on it. It's like, Oh man, oh, I'm going to be sick, dude. <laughs> he spits it back at the out. guy. Him it's spitting like... it in that guy's face is so funny. <laughs> well when you're that guy what do you do it's like do you get mad at the guy for spitting the rat in your face where did he get the rat from huh yeah you you put it in his soup you jerk you created this situation where a rat gets spat into your face so, so from the soup kitchen after they've met with this guy yeah they they so they they go into the they go up onto the roof and start sharing alcohol right because I, I guess they bonded over having a rat spit in his face. <laughs> I guess. 
I guess. I but, mean, that's a notable thing. You're going to be telling that story for the rest of your life. Although that oh, yeah. won't be a really long time, as it turns out. For either yeah, of them, no. I think. For any of them. No, no. So he, uh, they, they're passing around their their pint of alcohol, whatever it is, and he takes a big swig of it, and they're like, whoa, dude. Save some for the rest of us. And apparently, I guess, I guess aliens can't drink booze. Yeah, just doesn't agree with his system. Uh, not right for the cloned body, I guess. Yeah, because uh, he's got to get himself a new head again. Yep, his head explodes. Yep. <laughs> Time and for a new he, one. Actually, no, it doesn't explode. He just has to take it off because they recognize, uh, notably, yeah, they recognize the head. He takes it off and leaves it there while he takes the other guy's head, um, Julius's head, while the jerk is just running for dear life. <laughs> It's just the sequence of him, like, I don't know why I found it so funny, but you just see him, like, running, and it looks like a green screen shot of just a city in the, like, city <laughs> skyline in the background, and I'm like... <laughs> it's just gotta get away. And I'm just imagining that he's, like, running across the town. Uh, I don't remember running what forever. Ends up hap- I don't remember what ends up happening to him, though. Yeah, I don't, rec- I don't think... Anything happens, like, he gets interviewed by the police, I believe, and they don't believe him. Oh, Just like yeah, right. the other guy, the son right. of... So uh, at, at some point while this is going on, uh, the badass cop lady and the grumpy partner interview the son of Otis. Right. And he's like, he's like, yeah, man, it was like a monster, and, and just tells him what happened. is, And then he says... Man, it would be easier for you if I was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, because like it, it's there. There's no explaining this. Like he is telling them the truth, but they're just—it's impossible to believe this. Although, yeah. after this point, uh, they talk to the coroner. He's like, "Okay, so here's the thing: we <laughs> found another headless body. This time, we found a head by it, but it's not the body that went with that head." This is the head that went with your previous body. So there's something fucking weird going on here. We don't know. Like, we guess he brought it with him. Yeah, so so now they're figuring that the serial killer uh, decapitated one person and took his head and then left it at the scene where he decapitated another person and took that person's head. Like, they don't know what they're dealing with. No, and I mean, reasonably so. You would never guess that this is what you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just so fucked up. Uh, but then they spend so little of the time solving this mystery because... Well, I guess because at this point is when the serial rapist story comes in as well. Yeah, so um, she, at the very beginning, uh, she shot this this rapist guy who was trying to escape is like, Oh man, you're not going to shoot me while I run away. And then he runs away and she shoots him. Mm -hmm. And now he's in the hospital. Uh, He tricks and like strangles the cop who's guarding him. And then he dresses up like her in this weird scene where he like tries to put on lipstick and it's very strange. He doesn't kill her. Notably. No, he assaults her. her. Yeah. But does not kill her. Uh, and then he gets out dressed as her, which is very strange. And then he starts stalking Radon Chong, 
Yeah, he like following her around. Um, I think he ends up like outside her house at one point. Yeah, so like that's when we kind of catch up with. Uh, th- that's when his storyline starts to head back to the other one. So at this point, we also see the borrower. This is when he goes to the hospital. Oh yeah, and here we get uh, what was it? this Dr. weird doctor? Chivo. Yeah, and like he goes, he I I really like the borrower just wandering through the hospital, experiencing human life and death. Yeah, he he goes into all the like he just looks into all these different places where like into these rooms where like they're trying to save people and then they die and he's just going he's like dead, yeah, dead, gonna be dead. dead. And I guess like he's shopping for a new head basically. <laughs> But and and he's also kind of slowly getting an idea of how to actually blend in, because this is the first time he tries to do that after like in the hospital. It's a good place for him just to beginning to blend in because he's a horrible, bloody mess. Oh, right. That's because yeah. he's brought to the hospital because they find him waiting in line somewhere. And like he's all jacked up because like he literally has a severed head. So it looks like he has a huge, horrible neck wound. Yeah. Yeah. So, pe- so like people come and deliver him to the hospital and then he starts wandering around there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important to note that he is, the borrower is completely covered in blood at all times. Yeah. And every outfit, he just keeps putting new ones on over them. <laughs> <laughs> they get bloody, <laughs> but Dr. Chivo, he is cool. <laughs> well, like he walks in on Dr. Chivo trying to get laid, or I think like, like in laid. the midst of having sex with the nurse. Yeah, he's having sex with the nurse, and the nurse is like, "Can I help you?" Like, like, like <laughs> he's the one who's done something wrong. It's like, <laughs> and then Dr. Chivo starts talking to him like he's a patient. <laughs> Yeah, Dr. G was like, well, I guess I'll help this guy. And, of course, uh, the borrower borrows his head. But, like, he borrows his whole personality. He he takes everything. He He's yep. like, oh, I'll take these car keys. I'll take this nice doctor's coat. Because he, he finds out Dr. Chivo is someone who's important enough to have his name on a parking spot. Yeah. And we have this weird, this sequence that just was like felt like a trip it's got like this music and like he's got this look on his face like now i'm gonna be cool and he's (laughs) and but like he's not doing anything but we just hear him remembering all the stuff he's heard about like as he's going through the as he's been going through the film like and now and he's just got this look like now I'm Dr. Chivo. Now I'm cool. I got cool sunglasses. He's like, okay, now I'm going to live the eighties dream. Like, all right, I've came, I've come to America. Now I'm living the American dream. Look at me doing it. I'm a doctor now, babe. (laughs) (laughs) I got a great sports car, a big expensive house. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and meanwhile, (laughs) there's these like metal teens Oh yeah. Oh, it's just fucking I forgot about the music video. And it's it's Madchen Amick from Twin Peaks, who's the lady shooting the music video. Oh shit. All I had noticed was like, wow, this lady is way too hot to be missing to be anywhere near these teenagers. They're a fucking terrible music video. <laughs> so bad. 
which um, the borrower crashes, of course. Or no, he shows up right after it because they're 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 watching the replay of it and like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, so he shows up and attacks the the lead singer. This no, 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 no. <laughs> He's he is next door and they hear something going on in the yard. Oh, that's what it was. Oh, it was. The, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I almost forgot like the the best part of the movie <laughs> oh jesus christ yeah um the funniest thing in the movie yeah so because so dr chivo has this dog um and i guess that, at some point in the day the doctor's head just stopped being satisfying to him i don't know yeah. he's going through them really fast now yeah yeah so like the dog is barking and barking and the metal guy's like yo I'm going to be a piece of shit. And he takes a garden hose over to the fence and goes to spray the dog. And then he looks and he starts screaming and breaking through. <laughs> breaking through. You do it. I don't think I can. Yeah. He, so the borrower comes busting through the fence and he has a dog head. He has a dog head. <laughs> and he comes and attacks the metal guys with a dog head, this dog man. Uh, and they like shoot him. <laughs> they shoot him. The hot eighties girl takes, um, Metronomic shoots him down. Yeah. She takes uh, a gun from like a rack that was just happened to be there. And yeah, she shoots him and he's dead and they take him away. And we still have half an hour left of the movie. Yeah. And like they're there. I, I really like the cops showing up. It's like, well, I guess this answers the question, but it really raises a lot of new ones. <laughs> this guy has a dog head. <laughs> and like all the like throughout the movie, they're trying to get a hold of their boss to get him to come down and do something about it. <laughs> they're like the boss is just like, just put it in the morgue. I don't care. And they're like, this is a this is a monster with a dog head. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, the boss believes you just put it in the morgue. Oh, uh, and and like I, I like the paramedics who are uh, who are talking about it being like, well, so it's dead, right? And like, well, I mean, none of the bodily functions are doing anything. It has no heartbeat. I mean, it it certainly seems to be dead. Yeah, but of course, it's not breathing. What else is there? Yeah, apparently there are other things, of course, because it oh, will yeah. come back, but not for a while. Not for because, a long time. We gotta. Yeah, so this we gotta is, deal with this bullshit. Right. So Radon Chong goes home and relaxes, and this is when he's lurking outside her house, uh, and he busts in, but she was waiting for him all along, and she shoots him, and she kills him. Right? He, yeah, he dies. Yeah, she she killed. She kills him. She had a gun under the blankets and she shot him through the blankets. She is way too badass of a cop for this villain. Yeah, she was just sitting waiting for him, knowing that he would be coming. Like even yeah. after she already dealt with a dog monster that night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Tough. This, this, this girl needs to be taking on Batman villains, not like <laughs> this fucking like young brad pitt but grosser although you know she does get to uh take on the borrower and the borrower is more her caliber <laughs> yeah so we we really skipped o over a lot of the the stuff with the rapist because it's not that interesting 
Yeah, I mean, it's just him, him sort of stalking her and finding his way to her gradually in the background over a bunch of scenes. Yeah, so he gets to her house. He gets shot. Um, they bring him into the morgue. <laughs> yeah, and have him on the table next to the borrower, necessarily. Yeah, and um, the lady, the morgue lady is like looking through a microscope at the blood from the from the borrower and it's doing it's clearly still alive yeah the the blood is still active in some sort of strange way uh and she realizes that it's still alive in some sense and that's when it rises up and attacks her yeah so it attacks her um what happens after this I can't remember exactly how it fits together. Ultimately, it ends up in the rapist's body and like the rapist is sort of just powered coming after them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then they shoot him so many times and they're just like, you can't kill it. You can't kill it. It won't die. He's just twitching on the ground, getting shot. And it's actually really funny just how much they're shooting this guy. Because ultimately there ends up being a whole bunch of them there and they're all just shooting at this thing. <laughs> and then the FBI comes and takes them away. And, yep. and the lady's like, they don't know what they have. They don't know what they've got there. <laughs> they just love she's got like chunks of flesh in her hair. <laughs> and, and and I think that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it, it just kind of ends there. Uh and it rules. It rules. It's, like, I, I didn't want to go into super, super detail with this both because it's totally one everybody should watch. Like, this movie. What a trip. This is the same guy who made Pen- Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And the weirdest thing is it's kind of got that same kind of grunge and grit. Like, it's, it's the same really low street level concerns. It's like... Everything in the police element of the story it feels very authentic. <laughs> it's It's got a real grungy realism. Like, there's a whole part where Radon Chong spends some time talking to the lady who was guarding the serial oh, rapist who yeah, was assaulted actually, and that comforts her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a whole thing. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's got all of these weird things. It's very shaggy, but it's so weird, so unique. And that dog scene, oh my god. God, it... it's worth it just for that. <laughs> oh man, love it, love it. I can't believe I almost passed over that. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, great stuff. Great so, movie. It's it's a trip. Yeah, it's it's such a trip. Uh, any last thoughts on the borrower before we move on to our moves segment? No, I think we're good to. Talk about the stuff that you watched and the stuff that we're going to see and the stuff that's going to be decided and where the things in the stacks and the going and the shuffling and the moving and the I'm going to keep going till you just end the recording. No, but it's like, see, wherein you decide you're the decider. I'm the decider. Okay, so here in part three, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff I watched and decide uh, what we're going to watch next week and discuss. All right. Watched 15 movies in the past week, in addition to the four we've already discussed. Because uh, where do you uh, find the time? I like Halloween a lot. I don't sleep very much. I guess. 
I, I mean, peek behind the curtain. I do have a 40 hour a week job also, but you know, I, I, <laughs> My time in between, it's still pandemic, basically, so I fill that time with movies, and especially in October uh, when we can we can pack in the horror. Uh, so first on the list uh, of The Watched this week, we've got Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama. <laughs> what kind of movie is this going to be? So very interesting. This is a satirical horror film, sort of. Uh, this is a film by David Dakota, who you probably know best as the director of A Talking Cat. In the 80s, he was a horror director and he did like a whole <laughs> series of really zany horror movies. Uh, he's very out and very gay. So there's kind of an interesting queer sensibility to a lot of his films. You see a lot of uh, shirtless teens, uh, shirtless teen boys, and there's kind of a weird gay energy to some of the characters, especially in this one. This one's my absolute favorite Dakota film. Uh, so talking cat. I've never actually seen all of a talking cat, to be honest. Oh, you don't have to. Uh, so w- with this film, it's, a, you know, it's a sorority initiation gag thing, you know, a, a very common one. I've already talked about a few movies that are about sorority initiations. Uh, and it's there. there's these three girls who are going to be initiated into a sorority. But like Babs, the mean girl who runs the sorority, everyone's like, you're a little too into spanking naked girls what's up with that and no no one ever like is all about it it's like well it's it's a tradition it's like how much you like it it's more than a tradition come on (laughs) (laughs) and everybody in the movie is aware of it like the the boys the nerdy boys at the nearby frat are like oh babs is doing an initiation tonight so we're going to go see some naked girls if we go peek (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh (sighs) Uh, And so, like, uh, ultimately, they're tasked with this sorority prank of they have to go steal a bowling trophy. But they break into the bowling alley and they get a hold of the bowling trophy. And there's an evil imp uh, which has been trapped in this bowling trophy. uh, And it's going to grant them wishes. But, of course, the wishes will go bad because it's an evil imp. (laughs) Gotta be careful with your wishes, even if it's, like, freaking... Robin Williams offering it to you. May he rest yep. in peace. Yep, absolutely. And and this one's just really evil. He he's just clearly evil right from the get go. Uh, w- one of the things that I find really interesting and that I love about this movie is one of like the really horny teen boy. Like each of the teen boys has one specific thing. One of them is really horny. So he's. Oh, a- do we have computer boy, horny boy, football boy? There's horny boy. There's fat guy. And oh, a fat guy. Yes, yes. And uh, movie guy, who is our main guy. Oh, okay. You know, he's really into horror movies, and they have to pull him away from a horror movie to go on this adventure. Right. But so horny boy is like, so the the movie guy doesn't make a wish because he's smart enough to be like, no, this is a dangerous thing, and I'm not going to be sucked into it. Oh, yeah, uh, the but, movie guy's not going to make the wish. Right, so it's him and Linnea Quigley as this lady who just happened to be robbing the bowling alley when they got there. And the two of them team up and they're like, you know, the ones really battling the imp for most of the movie. But 
the the horny boy he makes the wish to get with you know his counterpart girl and then <clears throat> what i really dig about this movie is then she's you know aggressively trying to have sex with him and he realizes like wait this is probably not really proper consent and i can't allow this and so he just spends the entire rest of the movie uh trying to resist her advances <laughs> All right, that's cool. He just becomes uncomfortable with the situation and is like, this is not appropriate. You would not be doing this if you were not under a spell. So this sucks. (laughs) It's great. I love this movie. It's really fun. All right, that's... uh... Sorority Base in the Slimeball Bolorama. And it has Buck Flower, uh, you know, the, the guy who was a traitor in They Live... Uh, oh. he's he's the guy who runs the bowling alley so he's in it too nice nice uh next up resurrection uh which is a big surprise this is one i had never seen before it's a seven knockoff starring christopher lambert oh, okay of highlander fame uh he was raiden in mortal Kombat. Oh, yes. yeah <laughs> so this is a seven knockoff where a serial killer is dismembering men who have the names of Jesus' apostles. And he's he's getting all of their separate parts so he can build himself a DIY Jesus in time for Easter. Out of like all the different parts of apostles. And then he's, you know, he he assembles the Christ. (laughs) Jesus isn't a Voltron. (laughs) He's a Voltron, apparently. Uh, that's the concept. What if Jesus is a Voltron? I mean, what if? Uh, and like, it's it plays itself very serious. Like, it has that really hyper dramatic late '90s low budget. Like, I think it may have been direct to video, and it's just it's so self serious, but it's so comical. Like, just it's so absurd. Uh, I think I talked to you, or I, I mentioned in the group chat anyway. This part about he has a flashback to the death of his son. <laughs> he's he's teaching him how to ride his bicycle with training wheels in the park and he gets a cost oh, oh. <laughs> oh you did tell me this it, it, like, it's the heavy rain scene it's basically a heavy rain scene like the kid just keeps on cycling gleefully and he just won't stop he's just gladly biking towards traffic and like jason yeah, he's yelling, no, and he, like, jumps for the pedal, or he jumps for the bike, but he misses the tire, and the kid goes into traffic, and just instantly a car hits him, and, like, his head goes under the wheel. <laughs> Incredible. Like, this is a movie I, I had zero expectations for, but it was so much fun. It was so absurd. And David Cronenberg appears in it. Oh. <laughs> just, he, he just... He appeared in a lot of late 90s horror movies just for kicks, I guess. <laughs> All right. That's called Resurrection? Resurrection. Uh, next up, Killer Barbies, which is a n- another Jess Franco film. I've, I've watched a bunch of his movies this month. He, he was Oasis of the Zombies and uh, uh, yes. one last week, uh, Virgin Among the Living Dead. Uh, this one is a 90s film from him, so like much later than the others from 96. This guy's so fucking prolific. He's got like 200 or 300 movies. Oh my gosh. 
Uh, and there's a reason he has so many movies. A lot of them, nothing happens for a really long time, which is the case with this one. There's like 40 minutes where nothing happens. Uh, except like there's these people having sex in a van outside and these people explore a creepy castle and there's creepy people who live in the castle. And ultimately, eventually, the creepy people start killing them. But there's a whole long section where they're just not. <laughs> just don't go in the castle. Don't go in the castle. Uh, so it's it's Killer Barbies is the name of this 90s alt rock band. And they star in the movie. And uh, for some reason, like their their bus breaks down there, and then these these ghouls start killing them. Uh, and and it's you know it's an evil guy who I guess is sort of a mad scientist or whatever, and he needs their blood to sustain his wife, who's I guess a skeleton. <laughs> Skeletons don't have veins. Yeah, I know. Blood. It's weird. Like at at. At the beginning, she's just a bloody skeleton, but as they kill people for her and give her the blood, she becomes human again? I don't know. At least the Jesus Voltron plan kind of makes sense. <laughs> At least it's inventive. <laughs> I, like, I don't I, understand anything about Jesus. <laughs> I've seen at least one other version of this exact story this month, so <laughs> pretty weak. Uh, not a very good one. I, I would say a lower tier Franco, which is in running for lower tier movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, Night Terror, another shot on video horror uh, film. This one's an anthology. Uh, it's it's so it's like a series of different short stories where uh, each of them, like at the beginning and end of each story, this dazed guy in a hospital gown kind of stumbles in and out and is frightened by the end. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh very lo-fi obviously you know it's shot on video but uh there's a part where it, one of the sequences is these this bunch of drug addicts breaks into a toy store and kills this grandpa who runs the toy store and has like a weird relationship with all of the uh teddy bears it's like just a store of teddy bears and one of the teddy bears is alive it's just like a living teddy bear for some reason. Sometimes and so the teddy bear comes to get teddy bear. Oh, bother. The baby teddy I've bear. Got to get revenge. Yeah. And oh, he... I've got a rumbly in my. It's weird. Vengeance. It's so weird. I'm yeah, not trying you know. to do Winnie the Pooh. You, you know. I, I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's very bizarre. <laughs> very cheap. But seeing the the teddy bear get revenge on a, a bunch of like punk teens in the 80s was pretty funny uh upsettingly <laughs> upsettingly the guy has a poster that's like cosmo cosmopolitan on the wall and it's like ew does he have sex with these bears all right okay <laughs> uh and they call him daddy uh, next oh. up is Cutting Class, which introduced, or no, I guess it doesn't introduce, but it stars one Bradley Pitt. Oh, yeah. So this is, an, this is a fairly, I guess it's not that early of a slasher. It's 89, and it's kind of a satire, kind of a satire of a slasher. Okay. Like, so the the concept is there's this weird kid. Uh, played by Donovan's son. Like, you know, pop star Donovan, Sunshine Superman, Mellow Yellow, Atlantis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, his son plays this weird kid who 
uh, is returning to high school after he is let out of mental institution after having supposedly murdered his dad. And everyone's kind of mean to him and he's creepy and they figure it's either him or Brad Pitt, who's the star basketball player doing the murders. And there's a lot of things where it's, is it Brad Pitt? No, of course, it's it's the weird kid who's out of the mental institution. <laughs> uh, uh, her, uh, the, the main girl's dad is played by Martin Mull. And at the beginning of the movie, he's shot with an arrow by an unseen assailant. And then the entire rest of the movie, it's him trying to get back to the movie. <laughs> what? Until, like, the very last scene, like, they just pick him up in a car because he shows up on the street. Very weird. Like, it's almost a comedy, except most of the time it isn't. It's just, like, there's this weird satirical thread running through it. Really strange. Hmm. Cool music. It has a soundtrack by Wall of Voodoo, who are an 80s pop band I really dig. Uh, Next up, Through the Fire, also known as Gates of Hell, Dark or part two, uh, which is, so it's a fake sequel to Lucio Fulci's Gates of Hell, AKA City of the Living Dead. Uh, really no relation to that movie though. And uh, like Italian Evil Dead 3. Exactly. Very, very same kind of thing. It's just sort of in a similar vein, except this one, it's not Italian. It was shot in Texas. It's just this weird regional horror movie. Uh, So this one, it's a group of cultists and they've kind of accidentally summoned this bloodthirsty demon and they don't know what to do with it. Like they, they realize it's way more powerful than they thought. And now they have no idea how to control it. And it's just on the loose killing people. So they start killing people too, because they're trying to get a hold of this magical amulet to protect themselves from the demon that they accidentally summoned. (laughs) That's weird. It's not bad. It's got a nice, scuzzy, bleary regional horror intensity. I like that stuff. Everybody knows if you're going to summon a demon, you got to summon the weakest demon you can get. And you well, you got to practice. Build up to it. Yeah. If you're going to, yeah. you're going to get a big demon. Be ready. Like, like, don't just try to summon Satan on your first attempt. If he even shows up, you're fucked. Yeah. If he even bothers to show up. Right. And this one seems to be just really dangerous, clearly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so next up, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. <laughs> uh, you have, you've had some words about this one. So this one isn't really a horror movie. Uh, it's kind of a horrible movie. <laughs> That's not fair. It's not, it's not awful. It's just not very good. Uh, it's, it's a John Carpenter movie. It's like the next one in the John Carpenter series. But it isn't. A John Carpenter, like it doesn't have any of the flavor of a John Carpenter movie. Uh, the effects are really good. It has some really interesting invisibility effects, except most of the time Chevy Chase does not do invisibility. They don't do it nearly enough. He's mostly visible. We just kind of see... see Chevy Chase. Yeah, it's like we we see. Sometimes we see reflections where he's invisible, but it it's mostly kind of just it's it's playing from his point of view i don't know it's it's weird uh i i like the like i really like this sequence where uh basically he gets caught in some experimental blast and the building he's in is all swiss cheesed with invisibility so he's in this 
partially invisible building with just like pieces missing from everywhere. And that's a really cool sequence. It looks really great. That sounds interesting. Mm hmm. Is it worth it, two hours? No. <laughs> uh, and, and like it's it, what's interesting about it is it's Chevy Chase trying to do a serious movie, but he hedges his own bets too much and he puts in a lot of stupid, sticky gag that completely doesn't fit with anything else he's trying to do in the movie. So it just ends up boring and also kind of stupid. <laughs> Not good. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. It's certainly watchable, and it's just a fascinating disaster, but it's not good. Uh, next, up, next up is Death Spa, <laughs> which uh, this is a classic Red Letter Media uh, Best of the Worst entry. It's really great. It's a haunted strip mall 80s fitness club. Okay, which is such yeah. a fantastic location. I really love the aesthetic of it. It's deep 80s strip mall fitness club aesthetic. Lots of neon, uh, lots of pastel. Uh, and the whole thing is controlled by uh, a very powerful computer system that controls absolutely everything. Just everything possible. And the computer system's haunted, of course. Of and uh, starts killing people, you know, crushes people, uh, breaks a guy in half with uh, a shoulder press, all sorts of stuff. All the stuff you'd want from just crazy stuff happening in a spa. Uh, and it's just great. I love it. <laughs> right on, right on. There's not a lot to it, but it's it's a really good time. <laughs> uh, next up, Party Line, which is a trashy erotic thriller type serial killer movie uh it's a twin brother and sister who are serial killers and okay. so party line they call they get people like they call this late night party sex line and that's where they meet people and they arrange meetings and then like you know they'll pretend their husband and wife and uh, come in on them and like oh you're 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 sleeping with my wife and then you know they'll murder them it's all just a weird sex game see when I saw Party Line, I was just thinking like they they go to these uh, they go to these sex parties and uh, try to get the uh, the Democrats to vote for Medicare for all. Vote on oh. the party line. Vote on the party line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that was the first thing I thought of, even though the box art is clearly not that. Right. Uh, so it's it's an interesting. Like it's it's fairly self-contained. Uh, we have the police going after the killer. We got uh, Richard Hatch from uh, Battlestar Galactica as a detective. Not great. He's pretty flat in it. Okay. Um, but I I really like the vibe of the movie. It's very sleazy. It's got just a lot of neon, just eighties nightlife. Uh, it, it's sort of following. There's these two teen girls who have been calling in, and they've caught their attention, uh, and they arrange a meeting but then it's intercepted by other people who are listening in and then those people get murdered so they talk to the police and kind of get involved in it that way okay, it's interesting okay pretty well done uh but not super great uh right. i also watched the next film from the same director which is the banker uh and this movie i think was the inspiration for american psycho it the the box art has a very American psycho looking guy. Yeah. So it's about this wealthy executive and he's very high powered and he likes to get high power or high uh, 
uh, high-priced call girls and hunt them down with a crossbow. Oh, oh and, he's one of those wealthy guys. Yeah, and it's it's very American Psycho-esque. He has uh, like he has a big wall of TVs that he watches, and he has this very strict exercise regimen. And you know, he's got the '80s Michael Douglas look. Uh, he's really doing all of the same stuff. It's just it doesn't have the satire there that Brett Easton Ellis created with it. I feel like it's a movie he maybe saw late night on cable and was like, I could do something more interesting with this. Uh, I still right. think it's it's a fun movie and it's it's pretty interesting kind of looking at it through the lens of it's sort of if American Psycho were just a conventional direct-to-video thriller. It's cool. Uh, Robert Forster plays the cop who's after him. Uh, next, Amityville, The Evil Escapes, which is the fourth one, the one before 92. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is the one where we have a spooky yard sale, and they, they're they selling this unbelievably evil-looking lamp. It's just the most evil lamp you've ever seen. That clock looked evil, too. Oh, completely. We didn't talk about it, but that was an evil-looking clock. Extremely. Nobody would buy this thing. <laughs> Uh, and th this evil lamp, I mean, honestly, I would buy this because it looks so hilariously evil. But like they get shipped, they they ship the lamp all the way from Long Island down out to L.A. because it's 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 sent as a gag gift. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it it sends like an electrical pulse into the house, and then it takes over all of the electricity of the house that it's plugged into, uh, and you know it murders anyone who's working class who happens to come through the movie all, all of the rich people who live in the house are pretty much safe because uh they're played by known actors for the most part <laughs> it's a weird movie fucking rusty is there, yeah is there there is sort of a rusty analog except he's younger uh and he's played by the kid who plays nog on deep space nine oh, okay. the, a frangy kid uh, next up, Blood, Andy Milligan's Blood, uh, which <laughs> this is maybe this is probably my favorite Andy Milligan movie. It's still very much an acquired taste. I mean, Andy Milligan is uh, like, have I talked about Andy Milligan, how he's like this strange? Sure. So he's a gay sadist. Uh, and that's kind of his his whole deal. That's what drives him as uh, in, in terms of his creativity. That's sort of what he gets off on. And that's sort of how he designs his horror movies. He likes to have one character who is just tortured all the time because he likes to be the torturer. Oh, I see. Uh, and this movie, it's like it's like him sort of doing his version of like the Adams family or the Munsters. There's the daughter of Dracula and this mad scientist who's also a werewolf and they're married couple. And they're this really bickering married couple because everybody bickers in an Andy Milligan movie. Uh -huh. uh, and they move into this rundown house in long Island. They grow a scary man eating plant in the basement. Uh, and you know, just, get in feuds with local people and have petty arguments because <laughs> uh, there, there's just lots of petty disagreements in, in any given Andy Milligan. Yeah. And that's about it. There, there's a really great moment where the mad scientist forgets he's a werewolf and then he unexpectedly turns into a werewolf. And everyone has to tackle him and <laughs> make, 
get him on the control. It's probably my favorite moment in any Milligan. Uh, Next up, Sting of Death, uh, which is uh, William Griffay, I believe his first film. Uh, Big Florida regional horror director. And this is like a bright summer sun monster movie. Uh, It's a jellyfish man. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Jellyfish. Never seen one of those. Yeah, and there's a reason you've never seen one. It's just a guy in a big plastic bag. <laughs> oh. Just a dude with a big plastic bag over his head that's just got like some mud and glitter in it to uh, make it sort of obscure that there's clearly just a guy's head in the middle of this big bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's got, there. there's like, they, they live on a canal, so there's just like party boats that show up and they're, they like, raid your house as a party and like take people to join their party <laughs> uh they do uh, neil sadaka sings a song he does do the jellyfish uh they have <laughs> a fan boat chase through the everglades uh, oh nice lots of stuff uh it's it's super cheap but it's really zany and colorful uh it's just fun silly nonsense very ridiculous Cool, cool. Uh, next up, Invasion of the Bee Girls, which is a 70s, campy, high-energy kind of nonsense. Similar kind of flavor to Sting of Death. Uh, Would you say it's a bee movie? <laughs> it is a bee movie. Uh, and and it, it does involve bees and sex, too, in the same sort of way. I kind of assumed it would. <laughs> so it's... These women have been infused with the genes of queen bees and it makes them able to kill men with uh overloads of just sexual intensity and their eyes turn all black and they have segmented vision <laughs> okay it's very trashy very silly uh it's it's very 70s i love the look great like lots of great interior design really energetic loungy score you know fun stuff very trashy right on and last one is Tales from the Crypt, a very classic horror anthology. Oh, this is oh, this is the uh, the original like Crypt Keeper thing, isn't it? Yeah. So from '72, this was like the first big adaptation of the classic EC comics, uh, and like it's it's five different stories all taken from the original comics, like from Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt, and just like really well made you know it's a big expensive british production a lot of familiar british character actors in it uh, ralph richardson plays the crypt keeper and it's just like five people are sort of lingering behind in a crypt tour for some reason it's not really clear why they're on this tour and they get lost and then they run into the crypt keeper and he tells them how they ended up here and that they're all here in the crypt for reasons they're not aware of it's cool all right cool really good stuff uh the blood is hilariously red uh there's some pretty good laughs and some good scares solid stuff really well done right on right on i only know of the crypt keeper from the 90s uh stuff there was like a tv show and i think a movie and right totally there there were two movies there was uh demon knight and uh bortello of blood which is awful oh it was stars dennis miller I watched that we one last year. Sounds, sounds awful. 
but this uh, not quite the same sort of Crypt Keeper. This one, it's just a guy in a cowl. He's not like a, a high pitched voiced skeleton. He doesn't he's do a rap. A ghoul. <laughs> he's well, he's sort of a ghoul, but okay. yeah, you know, he's just a he's just a dude. Um, okay. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, cool, so cool. out of those 15, what do you figure? There's some pretty strong picks. Well, Jesus Voltron, whatever is in that movie is not going <laughs> to live up to what I have in my head. Because I've, I've got like this whole thing where they're like summoning Captain Planet Jesus. They're like, John, <laughs> Paul, George, Ringo, by your powers combined, I'm a beetle. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I lost I lost a thread because I only I didn't I don't know the names of the apostles I just know there's a John and a Paul and I think there might be a George but I don't think there's a Ringo there's definitely not a Ringo there's a Matthew uh I don't know I'm so, not religious <laughs> yeah no me neither um but I think you've really sold me on the sorority thing the sorority babes and the slimeball bolorama all right yeah yeah it's a great uh, I, movie. it's so much fun that sounds like the kind of thing where, like, I'll just be happy with whatever I get. I think so. Yeah, I, I think you'll have a good time. And I will make you watch Resurrection sometime because it's so stupid. It's okay. such a dumb blast. All right, so <laughs> Sorority Babes for movie number two. All right. So we are now, still choosing from the spooky stacks, aren't we? Yes. Uh, one last week in the spooky stacks uh, before we... Uh, are done October because you know still five days till Halloween, five more days till Halloween, etc. 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 Got to do it. All right, so we've got some. Oh, we have some new things in here that weren't here last I looked. There's some new stuff. Yes. Yes. Did some shuffling. Yes, indeed. Now let's have a little look here. Oh wow, there's a lot. Uh, I need to look. Yeah, a questions faster. on any any stuff. Uh, I, I'm uh, I I know lots of stuff about all the new things added or any stuff yeah, you're interested in the um, older stuff. Let's see. Well, are the Purge movies any good? Because I've heard I've seen I, commercials and they don't look like they would be. But then I just I, saw you have one on here. I've never seen the first one. Uh, but I liked the second and third ones. Uh, this I can't remember if Purge Anarchy is the second or third, but they're sort of an interesting political allegory. And Purge Anarchy, I think, is the first where they sort of get into that. And it's sort of just about uh, it's it's sort of looking at how uh, rich people are sort of able to use the Purge to just like they're they're using it for slum clearance and stuff like they're they're using it to just sort of uh, attack uh lower class people and and you know clear out buildings and that kind of thing and they like oh, have yeah. militarized groups it's it's very interesting uh it, it takes it in an interesting direction very uh okay. socioeconomic choices curious i i didn't think it would be that much yeah All right um now, with Halloween arguably ending on a cliffhanger, do, like, do I <laughs> arguably 
do I really want to see Halloween 2 immediately after seeing the first one? Or is that something I'm going to want to put some space between or, or it won't seem as good? I mean, it's hard to say. It's definitely nowhere near as good, but it does still have a John Carpenter score. Like he came back and did the score, even though he didn't direct it or write it. Uh, and I think so the, the first same. one's the only one he actually did, like the directing, right. isn't it? And every yeah. all the other ones were just other uh, people. Right. So the first one is the one he wrote, directed, scored everything. Uh, right. Second one, he did the score in collaboration with Alan Howarth, who did Retribution uh, that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's the two of them do the score and... Uh, uh, it's it's got a lot of people that he's worked with like it's it's from his production or the same production company uh he does work come on as a producer and it's got a similar level of quality but it's not like it, it's unnecessary as a sequel like it just that that's sort of my chief problem with it is it just it doesn't add anything new but it is enjoyable as more of the same and it's just you know it's michael myers loose in a hospital essentially Okay, okay, cool. Uh, so it's it's totally fun, but not as good. Uh, three is also he and Howarth do the score and then and produce, and then after three, he was never involved with the series. After three, he was like, "Fuck this shit, I'm done." Yeah, he was like, "Well, I he was into the anthology idea, and he might have come back to do more if it had stayed an anthology, but he didn't want to just rehash Michael Myers again." He was just oh, had no okay. interest in doing that. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, I keep seeing this one on here. What is Don't Deliver Us From Evil? <laughs> uh, so that one is, uh, have you ever seen the Peter Jackson movie Heavenly Creatures? No, I haven't. Uh, it's sort of based on this true story about these, I think, New Zealand girls who uh, were like teen girls who just got into this really weird, really obsessive relationship and started feeding on each other's fantasies and uh, went down a bad path and ended up murdering their mother and weren't murdering one of the mothers. And like, uh, th this is sort of based on that, but like making it this specifically religious thing. I think they're in a convent in this one. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have not seen it. It's it's like a, a sexual repression gone mad sort of thing, I believe. Oh, you haven't seen it? I have not seen that one, no. All right, well, this will be a surprise for both of us. Do you want to do that? All right, so don't deliver us from evil and uh, sorority babes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, that sounds be an like... an interesting mix. Yeah, yeah, it will. <laughs> All righty, cool. So uh, those will be our pictures for the final week of the Spooky Stacks 2021. Uh, <laughs> what a ride it's been. What 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 a dark ride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Holy. All right. Uh, so uh, thanks very much for listening. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to me too. All right, uh, and uh, keep watching the stacks.